Hey, real quick, I just wanted to let you know that Gabba Gabba Hunt is now a record store. Well, not really a store, but a booth at an antique store located in Eastridge Mall in Gastonia, North Carolina. Vintage Village is three stores down from Dillard's on the left. And my booth is on the left side of Vintage Village. It's the one with all the records. You can't miss it. I've got over a thousand records, toys, t-shirts, DVDs, VHS, all kinds of stuff there. So come check it out. Gabba Gabba Hunt Records and Vintage Goods located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. This episode of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks is brought to you by Hobo Wolfman Records. Hobo Wolfman Records is home to the fill-ins, home for the day, and the body bags. And in addition to music on Hobo Wolfman Records, at HoboWolfmanRecords.com, you can also get t-shirts, hats, all kinds of other stuff, and it's basically like a distro. You can get records other than just what's on Hobo Wolfman Records. As a matter of fact, right now you can get a Street Clones record over there. Plus, you never know what Danny's going to put on there. He's got all kinds of crazy shit at HoboWolfmanRecords.com. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolina's underground music scene. Your host, Mike Phillips of Van Huskins. Hey there, and welcome to episode 34 of Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks. This is the first new episode of 2021, and I'm looking forward to what this year brings for Gabba Gabba Hunt. But as a little bit of an FYI, episodes may roll out a little bit slower, at least at the beginning of the year. I just have so many projects going on at this time, and last year I told myself I was going to slow down a little bit this year. I need a little bit of time for myself. Well, I'm still not finding the time for myself, thanks to an endless news cycle and all these other projects that I've picked up, but I'm not going to try to overdo it and put out an episode every week, at least for a little while. I know myself, and if I start lining up a bunch of interviews pretty quickly, I'll start putting the episodes out pretty quickly as well. However, do not expect an episode next week, but there will be something for you to listen to next week. I'll just leave it at that, and you can keep an eye on the Facebook page to find out more about that. There's also always a chance that I'll randomly put out a radio episode, and that's possible next week as well, but that's not what I'm talking about. Now, I don't want to talk too much up front. I do want to thank Regis Murphy for also being a big sponsor of this podcast. I don't really know if he wants me to promote his real estate business, but if you are looking for a house, especially like in the Lake Norman area, hit up Regis Murphy. You can find him on Facebook. He works for Helen Adams Realty. Just a solid dude, and and thanks a lot, Regis. You're awesome. I also want to thank all my other patrons over on Patreon, the fill-ins, Bub Holla, Sunday Boxing. I'm trying to remember who else is a patron over there, but you guys are awesome. Thanks a lot. And speaking of the Patreon, this episode I recorded with Something Went Wrong has over an hour left that I really haven't sifted through yet, as well as a couple of other clips I've already cut out. What that means is that hopefully in the next few days, or at least the next week, there'll be about an hour's worth of extra stuff over on Patreon. If you want to help sponsor this podcast or just help support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash gabagabahuh. That's it. I'm going to get right to this week's episode with Something Went Wrong. Super nice guy, but I got a, a clapper for Christmas, and uh, every time I go to pop a beer, okay, it turns my lights on or off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always the, the one that I struggle with is uh, every time something on YouTube says Alexa, or we're talking yeah. about Alexa, <laughs> that Alex, she has to hop in. in the room. <laughs> I never thought about it in your house. Does it oh, trigger all the time? Just yeah. for super annoying. Look at that. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. But yeah, my daughter got me that, and I, I hooked some of my lights up to it, and I kind of like it, except for every now and when, when I open a beer, it <laughs> turns my lights off. <laughs> like, that's not what I intended. And it's a Darth Vader clapper, too, so 
Wait, no, what is the difference between a regular clapper and a Darth Vader clapper? Well, it's shaped like Darth Vader's head. Okay. And then when it turns on, he says something about, I forget what, exactly what he says, but it, he says something when it turns on and something when it turns off. Okay. When it turns off, he talks about the dark side, and when it turns on, he says something about the... Okay. <laughs> yeah. I forget exactly what it that, is. See that, I've that, heard that, it so many times, I just don't pay attention to it anymore. Uh, but I, I like <laughs> it's when the lights go off, he's going to talk about the dark side. That's yeah, a power on the dark side. So, Dave, just kind of talk for a minute and make right. sure. I think I'm just going to have these, because I don't have them right up on you guys. I'm just going to have it cranked up. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, I can tell, like, every time I do this, it's going to stop like, picking me up. So It's like one of those times where you ask me to talk, and I'm like, <laughs> nothing to say you? <laughs> yeah, but then, like, anytime you want me to shut the fuck up, it's like, I don't Let, Let's do this. Uh, Dave, tell us the <laughs> entire story behind the last science fiction television show you watched. Go. Fuck you. <laughs> What was the last science fiction television? Uh, it would have been The Expanse. Uh, I've been sort of uh, problem solved, cracked on it. Just you know, part of it's because it's it feels so close. Like a lot of the technology they use in the books and the shows is very uh, doesn't seem that much far removed from what we could do in the next twenty years. They, yeah. They've based a lot of it in actual mm-hmm. science, which makes right it feel like like the only thing in the show that's really sort of out of really none of it's outside of human conceptuality like the 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 main drives of the ships are just their fusion torches alex doesn't watch television alex uh watches the uh, washing machine go around and uh we've had to tell him that uh you know uh, the plot is it's interesting it's fascinating they brought me here for the comic relief and then they realized i'm not funny (laughs) (laughs) well we figured out early on that like you could sit on a bench with him and stare at a power transformer for three hours and say absolutely nothing. He'd be like, good talk, dude. <laughs> I'm an introvert, and I had a great time. Yes. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that. No. no. Well, this this will be the first interview I've done in a month, so I was thinking on the way over here, I'm like, I'm kind of out of practice for this, like, mm. all around. <laughs> That's fine. You, you do such an awesome job with everybody else that you've uh, talked to. Like, I, I was amazed when we started to, to listen to all the stuff that you were doing like how well put together it is, which is its own art form, but also mm-hmm. you do a fantastic job at interviewing people and just letting that conversation flow. That that in itself is a, a skill. So yeah, that's the biggest thing I do is like I, I, I say that like what I said a minute ago, but then I go I'm really never prepared when I do my interviews anyway. I'm, I do a little bit of preparation. Um, I usually have some questions to ask, but a lot of times it's like let's just start talking and see where it goes. Because if I get you talking about what you did, how you got started in music, you're going to talk about it because, mm-hmm. you know, people like to talk about that kind of stuff. Sure. And then everybody that lives around them is sick of hearing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you, get, you get a new audience and it's like, oh, yes, let me talk about this. Which is uh, part of why I want them to talk more than me because for the most part, people that encounter anybody that would be talking about our band, it's usually me. You are sort of the face of, of it. Yeah. How the fuck Isn't it did you terrible? Make- Right. How the fuck did I become the face? That's our face? Right. This is your face? <laughs> I, well, that was one of my questions. That was one of my questions for later was about the album cover and everything. So. Oh, the album cover oh. was because I came up with the idea. And uh, like mm-hmm. I had several ideas, and that was the cleanest one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> was, we'll talk I, about that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, but so we'll talk about you being the face of the band, too, if, if, that's, if that's what you're talking about. So we'll, we'll talk about all that, that a little bit, too. Really? I, yeah. I but to, I am to, talking to, to uh, the band Something Went Wrong, and uh, I'm going to get you to introduce yourselves here in a second, and then we'll just kind of talk about how you guys, how this band got started. Right. Um, I guess we can start wherever. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Ziggy. Well, with the Let's Genesis, with Ziggy. it needs to go with Ziggy, Ziggy for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Ziggy, uh, guitar and some vocals and uh, tambourine 
it's, uh, it's mostly, <laughs> you just ruined the interview. It's mostly tambourine. <laughs> Great job, Zane. <laughs> uh, Alex, drums, and uh, some backup vocals. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm Dave. I pretend to play bass and pretend to do vocals, and somehow it comes out. I guess uh, I do a little bit of lead and backing where appropriate. The artist formerly known as Evod. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that was a relic of being on Facebook, trying not to be tracked by uh, potential employers. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of outside of the realm of giving a fuck about that at the moment, so I just, fuck it, here's my real name. Yeah, same here. That's when I used to be M-I-K, Mick, yeah, <laughs> or it was yeah. Mike without an E. Um, it was, that was just my stupid attempt to like, actually it was, a, it was a mistake the first time. And then it was my stupid attempt to just like fly under the radar. I think my favorite thing to do with that is Brian Altman of the Flight Risks had not met me in person and only knew me as Evod Sue from Facebook. He's like, "Man, I thought you was a damn terrorist or something." <laughs> literally said that. Yeah, that's funny. That's what I thought when I met you too. So yeah, everybody um, thinks that. I'm in good company. So I, I'm known Ziggy longer than anybody because we played some shows together with your one of your previous bands, Displacer. Displacer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, we'll get around <laughs> talking about that too. But how did you get started? Like, well, I'll start with my standard question. Like, when you were a kid, what was it that that drew you to music, and how early did you get a develop an interest in music? Whether it was like an interest in playing or just something something that you enjoyed listening to. Uh, for me, there's, there's always like a two component parts to this. So, so the first was just getting into music uh, to begin with, because I didn't I didn't have exposure to punk when I first got in, involved in music. Yeah. Um, like so many other kids, I was too deep for my own good and you know like writing poetry and some kid that i went to school with played guitar and said you should come and and sing and i you know and i gave that a shot and it was terrible we were doing acoustic stuff and you know um a couple years went by i some other kids were playing more in a rock band and that had way more interest for me um back in those days we were doing you know u2 covers and rem and that kind of thing yeah Uh, but hanging out with some of those kids uh, the, the second part was um, one of the, the kid who was the drummer, uh, showed me decline of Western civilization. And there's a few of those moments in uh, people's lives, but I remember really succinctly, um, how I, 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 like I had a light bulb moment of like, these are my people. This is what I want to do. This is what I just instantly connected with it. Listening to, you know, uh, black flag and the circle jerks and that kind of stuff. And then I just started to try and chase and pursue anything that I could. And back in those days, even in Los Angeles, like y- you couldn't go to the local record shop and find any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like one record shop in Hollywood that I'd have to, you know, I could only get down there so often, and I had no idea there's all these seven inches and stuff, and I had no idea what I was looking at. But but that that was it kind of for me. So the the one was just, you know, learning to to be in a band, but then kind of discovering punk rock, and and that was how. Yeah. So you're originally from LA, uh, Chicago area? originally, but I, I grew up in Los Angeles most of my life. Okay. Not there. Yeah, that should be pretty interesting. I would I would guess when you first got into music though, like when you the, for your first attraction to music, what kind of what were you listening to at the time? My father was a big Beatles fan. Okay. So I think there was a lot of that growing up. Um, I know there was a lot of Led Zeppelin in my house growing up, and I still listen to that stuff constantly. Both of my parents were big music fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father and my stepfather both played guitar, and my, my father played in a bunch of bands when he was young back in Chicago in the uh, 70s. Okay. Um, so, again, there was a lot of influence there. But I, I had to learn to play guitar myself. I had to discover that for myself. There was no, um, you know, I didn't take music lessons growing up or anything like yeah. that. Alex, how, how did you get in, interested in music as a kid? And then you can talk about maybe when you started playing an instrument. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking back, I had uh, friends I played hockey with, and uh, one of them was kind of like a guitar virtuoso at the time. This was back 11 years old. Yeah. And he wanted to start a band, and he's like, hey, you should play the drums. I was like, all right. Start playing the drums, and he was 
big into Hendrix and the Ventures, you know, surf music mm-hmm. and just old rock. And it's basically what we started with was like surf music covers and Hendrix covers. Yeah. And, you know, doing my best to <laughs> emulate Mitch Mitchell and, you know, kind of went from there in 93. 1993, we got really into Nirvana, mm-hmm. and then Nevermind hit, and it wasn't cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of when we went that. the punk route yeah. and started playing kind of punk with hardcore breakdowns and played with them for a long time back in Boston. Uh, that's where I grew up. And I kind of took a break right after our biggest show mm-hmm. uh, back in, it was probably 2004. Uh, we were together for... 13 years playing same three guys uh and then yeah i took a break played with a couple of indie bands mm. uh, and then moved down here in december uh 2014 and kind of had the itch at that point you know i wanted to play again had been a while mm. and put the put the ad on craigslist and uh yeah they answered it. Yep. Yeah. No, you. No, you right. answered. Did I answer yours? Us. Is that yeah. what it was? I think so. Yeah, right. that's exactly. I know right. there was an ad, and I was yeah, I was looking through. I must have been looking through and and saw it, and I would just you know put punk in and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, you showed up with a set of electric drums, and I was like, "Fucking serious." Well, that, that was the greatest. <laughs> I had this this really shitty Alesis kit that I could carry in with one hand and a small little amp. And that was when you guys were, you had the space up at, uh, Noda Studios. Studios. So it was like a 45 minute schlep for me to go try and see what even happens. Mm -hmm. And I set it up and and they they start and I'm like, all right, you know, you can't even hear the damn thing. You could hear maybe the, the cranked bass drum just farting in the, you know, the woofer. (laughs) And I think we played the first song, whatever it was. Probably turn of events. It might have been. And. And I was like, well, I don't even think they could hear me. And they're both, I look up, and they're both grinning like, <laughs> ear to ear. <clears throat> I was like, well, it couldn't have been that bad. Uh, yeah. And I, I know this may be a deviation mm-hmm. into the beginnings of the, the band, but when Alex came in within 30 seconds, I knew he's the best drummer that I had ever played with. And um, and he immediately had an ear for the like the rhythms and the kind of stuff that we were doing. Like it was just instantly, you know, you, there's a, a connection there. Yeah. And then after that, it was like, okay, well, how, you know... <laughs> What do I have to say to, to, to keep you coming back? They haven't stopped, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, there was a lot of ass kissing for that first year, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs>
much it for my backstory. Okay, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk more about those bands that you played in, okay. like in Boston in a little bit too, because um, I like to try to cover all that stuff. Sure. But I, I knew that you weren't from here from just the accent. I was like, is it that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you answered that question for me. Sure. Um, I guess Dave, let's let's talk about you, and then we'll then we'll talk all more right. about the, the beginnings uh, of the band. And, mine is is a little less interesting, I think. Uh, I, my parents had two albums that they had on repeat mm-hmm. for car trips when I was a kid. And it was the fucking Urban Cowboys soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a Little, Little River Band's best hits. Mm. So I got to hear a lot of that. And that was a lot of what I got just bombarded with. As a kid. Fuck, do I have to hear that again? <laughs> uh, Dad really loved country at the time, mm-hmm. which again was just kind of a, ah. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, I watched him play a lot of guitar when I was a kid. He played... Uh, very good finger picker. Played a lot of John Denver stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, never wrote anything of his own. Uh, but that sort of planted the seed, I guess. And the thing that really got me started, and people laugh, but it's true, was fucking Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, River Bottom Nightmare Band, mm-hmm. which I still say, I've, I've posted it on Facebook, fucking Frank Oz is the father of death metal vocals. <laughs> I mean, they call him Cookie Monster vocals, and for a while he yep. voiced Cookie Monster. Yep. I mean, come on, it's there. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I saw that, and I was like, damn, I want to do that. And then uh, it went a while, I didn't really do anything musically until fourth grade. I picked up a viola and started taking uh, viola lessons in school. I was an orchestra. Okay, yeah. And I did that until sixth grade and i was like this is boring i want to try something else picked up cello and i really liked cello mm-hmm. really couldn't stand my orchestra teacher but i really liked cello yeah and it was about that time like i had my first album I ever bought was was fucking michael jackson's thriller mm-hmm. i mean come on who didn't have that one um but then i went along this process it's like okay Def Leppard's cool. I'm gonna start listening to that. That, that that's really. Cool. I guess yeah. it was about the time that uh, Hysteria came out. Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction came out. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's just like another level. And then about the time I got interested in Metallica was about the time I decided to pick up a bass. And literally, I put in a cassette tape of Kill 'Em All mm-hmm. and picked up my dad's Rickenbacker, which was hilarious because I'm sitting here learning how to play on a 4001, a 1981 4001, which. You know, people fall all over those damn yeah. things, and I had no idea. I was like, it's just dad's bass that he got in a pawn shop. Fuck it. And it makes it sound like I'm trying to sound more impressive than I am when I say that. I was not playing Cliff Burton's riffs. Yeah. I was basically following the the root note of the songs mm-hmm. and figuring out how to do staccato picking and shit that they were doing at the time. But I just went from there. You know, I really didn't get into punk until later. That's the funny thing. I was yeah. more into, like, Slayer and Sepultura and shit like that. And then college was when people started asking me, hey, teach me how to play this Dead Kennedy song. And I had been exposed to the Misfits prior to that. I'm like, no. Like, my first exposure to the Misfits, I actually didn't like it. I thought it was too simplistic. And then when somebody was like, okay, I want you to listen to this Dead Kennedy song, figure it out, and teach me how to play it. At the time, I played guitar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. This is interesting. There's, yeah, there's yeah. a lot more complexity to this. And the rest of it just kind of grew on me. So I just, I kind of had a little bit of exposure to that too. But uh, yeah, I bounced back and forth between guitar and bass. And I still do a little bit, but bass is probably my primary instrument. Yeah. And came by it honestly, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dad played in uh, cover bands uh, around, I, I lived in Wilmington at the time. And uh, even back then, you could make a killer. Uh, income with with cover bands mm-hmm. like he would pay for Christmas and we would get these gifts that 
we had never gotten before and we were always told they were too expensive because he was going out and playing bars with a cover yeah. band. So, I mean, Stones covers and shit like that. People ate it up back then. So yeah. That's my musical's retirement plan. Is yeah. In 10 years, I'm just going to be like, eh, it's time to play in a cover band. Make <laughs> yeah. a little bit extra yep. money on the weekends. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> One of those pieces that I always love about your origin in music is the, and I'll never get the name right, but the, the Muppet Band. Yeah, um, the nightmare. And the, like the first time you mentioned that to me, you know, I, I, I had an idea in my head, but then we actually sit down and listen to it. So for anybody that's listening, like if you haven't heard that, we again, what's the, the name again? It's called The Nightmare from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. If you haven't listened to it, like when he says the, the that's really where the birth of death metal comes from, like he's serious about that. If you listen to it, it really does. It's, it's, it's really heavy. Well, that, that was a funny moment. At the, wasn't that right after that surgery you had? Yeah, you were sitting I think where, so. He was in an yeah. apartment over uh, near where I lived, and I had picked him up and brought him back. Yeah. And he's like, I want you to see where my roots come from. And he's showing me fucking, uh, you know, decline of Western civilization. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And we watched that for a little bit. I was like, okay, let me show you where I came from. And I turn on him and honor. He's like, the fuck is this? And he's like still like pretty much half lit from the meds at the dentist. I was watching this like, who the fuck have I gotten in a band with? You know, watching this. But it, it you know, that really was the moment where I said, I want to do that. I want to be like the fucking bear and the snake and shit. Yeah. And well, the weasel. I have to take that like a, even a step further and say like, to me, one of my biggest musical influences as a kid was just the Muppet Show in general. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because totally. they had all kinds of great musical guests on there. And even beyond the musical guests, like every skit had a song. Or not everyone, but most of them had a song or mm-hmm. yeah. something. And so as a kid, I just loved music. You know, and whether it was, you know, the stuff they played on Sesame Street or whatever, when I graduated to the Muppet Show, that was when I first got introduced to Alice Cooper and, yeah. you know, I mean, Linda Ronstadt was probably trying right. to remember who else was on there. But there. There's a lot of good artists on there. Mark Hamill. Just, Elton you know, John. Yeah. I mean, just, they had all kinds of people on there. Yeah. So it was a, the Muppets in general is a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I loved uh, Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. So yeah. That River Bottom Nightmare Band was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I did, I did have a couple of bands actually. I, I suppose I took a little too long to get around to that. Um, was in a band called Entropy in high school, which is a couple of buddies of mine. We never really did much. I, we opened for Wicked Ways a couple of times, if you remember mm, who they were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I went off to college at App State, and I was in two and a half bands, I'll say. Uh, the first one was this weird-ass band called Hot Soup that I could go on forever about, but I won't. It was just a very strange, like, half-original, half-cover band that I wound up leaving. There was a band I was in. We called it Sloth to start with. They changed it to Haas. And again, it was another one of these mixed bands where everybody had different inputs and all that. They actually went on to be uh, 800 Octane. They put out like six or some albums. They were out in Oregon for a while. So I missed mm-hmm. the boat on that one. Uh, and then I was in a, a metal band called Damage Done for a while. Okay. Um, they have a <laughs> they have a song on iTunes that I did not get writing credit for that I did write, but that's all water under the bridge. <laughs> and then I just quit for a long-ass time. I, I took a break for a good 15 years because I had so many cl- personality clashes with that band. It was like a bad marriage. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I just kind of picked up playing again. I bought a new guitar. I bought a new bass. I got into Nirvana cover band, which I get no end of grief for. <laughs> uh, refuses to play any Nirvana now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, well, no, I mean, it, well, there's a, there's, there was something that happened during that time that really stuck in my craw. And that was, uh, we played at Amos's, you know, the old Amos's mm-hmm. with uh, Bad Fish. And I thought, you know, it's a cover band thing, whatever. And I get in there, there were like 1,200, 1,500 people at that oh, show. Yeah, and yeah. I was I was fucking gobsmacked. I was like, what the hell? And on one hand, I was pretty thrilled. Like, I'd played one show with Hot Soup that big. And I think it was sort of a kids are bored at App State kind of thing. It wasn't like, hey, what are we going to do on a Friday night? Let's go see this. 
uh, that was that big. And I'm like, man, this is great. There are all these people here. And my first thought was, you know, they're here to see bad fish. But then I start seeing kids walking in with their Nirvana shirts on. I was like, well, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. You know, show went well. But the whole time I had it in the back of my head, this is not your fucking music. The biggest show pretty much you've ever played, you're mm-hmm. you're regurgitating somebody else's shit. Yeah. So I moved and that ended that band. I didn't do anything else until I came back here. And I was uh, farting around with uh, Greg Philbeck. Okay, yeah. And then Zig and I met and it went from there. Yeah. So the band you mentioned, Entropy, was that a band, were you in Charlotte at that yeah, time? Yeah, I was in Charlotte at the time. Uh, Any other, anybody else in the scene? Shannon Swaggerty, if you know who he yep, is, he, yep. he sang for it. Uh, everybody else has pretty much disappeared off the face of the map. I mean, they still live in the area. Like uh, Mike Stevenson, he'd probably be horrified uh, if I mentioned his name on the air. Guys, like, <clears throat> no social media presence, yeah, completely paranoid. <laughs> yeah. he, played, he and I played guitar for that band. Uh, we had a guy, Wills Marshall that played drums uh i try to do something else with a, a dude named rob roos he's been in a couple bands i that very good drummer but never just could get anything to materialize and like i said went going to app state was in a couple bands up there and the the way damage done came apart i was it did damage and i was done yeah so da- damage done was that a band you were in while you were in apple uh, yeah it was, and it was App state and it's funny i was talking to matt daigle the other day he was like man i, I know you and i have crossed paths before uh, what other bands were you in? I was going down the list, and he said, "Yeah, it was Damage Done. You guys played with us at Jeremiah's." I was like, "Nope, I was out of the band at that point because uh, they they did a lot of uh, stuff around here at the time. I was just I was done. Yeah. I, I was just done at that point." Or a lot of people I talked to have had a, a period of time where mm-hmm. they stepped away from it for a little bit. And a lot, yeah. a lot of times, it's just family. You know, you start a family, and that becomes more important. But everybody's got a reason for doing it, and sometimes mm-hmm. it is just that that bad experience that well this was this was the clash like i mean I, I was trying to get a job in boone because I'd, I'd actually quit school to focus on that band full-time like dumb dumb decision number one in my life <laughs> was to quit school to, to work on a band and i don't know how much you know about living in boone but it's like you're either hippie mafia and can get a nice job somewhere with with your dreadlocks and patchouli, mm-hmm. or you're probably working fast food. Yeah, which is what I wound up doing. I and mean, I don't know if you've tried to live on that shit. That was like the poorest I've ever been. I wouldn't ask my parents for money. So that like the lead guitar player had a pretty good job, and he would always fuck with me about not having money. I'm like, dude, I've tried. I've looked around for jobs. So finally, he tells me, why don't you apply to the country club that I work at? There's a dishwasher job there for like seven dollars and i was like cool i'm making 450 right now yeah <laughs> you know this is back in 94 95 that was pretty great for me so i go and apply and i didn't hear anything about it for a while and uh i was pretty bummed about it and then he finally like everybody got in a kind of a pissing match one night and he goes you know why you didn't get that job because i told him not to hire you i was like <laughs> what wow. you told me to apply so i was just like okay fuck off i left <clears> and yeah. i've i've sort of uh Mended those fences since then. I have no ill will, but that was that was pretty much it for me. I was like, if you're gonna set me up and then torpedo me, that's some that's some underhanded shitty stuff. So I was just like, I don't want to deal with that from anybody. I had this guy, like I tried to get something started back when I got back to Charlotte, and I got in touch with this guy from Creative Loafing's personal ads. Uh, guy's name was Liam. I don't remember his last name, but he was absolutely convinced he was going to be the next big thing in rap metal. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get that dude to quit calling me with lyrics. And I was like, dude, you, your shit doesn't work. Quit calling me. You know, just, it was so like the whole thing, like a string of bad shit just turned me off. That I didn't probably pick up an instrument for 15 years.
in your 14 years, did you ever have a gapper that was just, uh, you played straight through? Oh, no, I definitely did, yeah. yeah. I, when I left the first band, Confront. Yeah, I was going uh, to ask, was your first band, you said was Confront, was the name of the band? Yeah, it had a couple of iterations as we, we started with the Hendrix and Ventures stuff. We were called Cellar Stairs at the time. Then we got into Nirvana, and we changed our name to Whole Shot. And then when we kind of got out of that and started doing our own punk hardcore stuff, that's when we became Confront. Mm-hmm. And we played as Confront for I don't know, eight, eight, nine years, something like that. Yeah, you play, play a lot of shows. Uh, up in, we did, in yeah. We, it's got to be somewhere near 200 shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in Boston scene, it's just different. It was back then. It was big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't even know how it is now, but compared to here, it was just a very big scene. Uh, and we we were doing very well there. We were very well received. Played big shows. Played the big be- uh, venues. Uh, but just for me, it stopped being fun. You know, even though I was friends with the guys in the band, when it came to the band and two shows, it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, they were so serious. Uh, well, maybe not they. Uh, the guitarist and main songwriter, he was so serious about it that you'd end a show and he would just shit on you mm. and it's like but i didn't screw up i was like you literally wrote your own lyrics and i heard you mess them up <laughs> uh, but i'm the one getting shit on you know and, and i just couldn't take it anymore and uh i think i took i took at least two years off after that and then just kind of same thing browsing ads online uh replied to a couple of guys that were near me at the time with with an indie band and i didn't know much about it mm-hmm. i just wanted to get back behind a drum set yeah. and you know i met with them they were cool guys music wasn't necessarily for me you know it was very slow tempo mm-hmm. and even on the couple of songs that i rocked up i could tell that they weren't necessarily <laughs> happy with where it went uh not that i made it faster i just made it heavier yeah and uh I played with them for probably a year and a half, and I think it just ran its course because they wanted to go in a different direction than I could go with them. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that band? Uh, you gave uh, us that CD when I know. you came to the demo. Mm, you know, it'll probably come to me in a little bit. Okay. I, I can't recall <laughs> it right now, to be honest. That was yeah. That was like eight years ago now. Uh, great guys uh, and good musicians. Just, yeah, it was not the right music for me. Mm. Uh, and I just wanted to get back into you know, what I feel comfortable with and what I enjoy. It's, it's funny how your your experiences paralleled mine because I, it was the same thing for me. I, I could never get, I could never find people that were willing to play stuff that was heavy enough because I ended up at an early age, I fell in with all these guys that were, uh, you know, just these amazing guitar players and amazing, you know, uh, instrumentalists. Um, and they all wanted to do things based on their musical complexity rather than for me about like feel or groove or energy mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. for me, a uh, guitar is a bit of a weapon. I, you know, I want to release some anger and energy when I go up and play. And that was too juvenile for everybody else mm-hmm. that I knew at the time. So I struggled for years to find people that like, no, I want to play like faster and harder. So uh, is that like one of the dudes of my... that wound up looking embarrassed when he was playing with Wes Scantlin? With the terrible Nirvana cover uh, that you like pointed to that guy. Yeah, yeah. So, so so that's that's my buddy Matt, who's an amazing musician and a super super nice guy. Um, no, I mean uh, you know Matt <laughs> Matt wasn't one of the people that that you know kind of uh, resisted. I think the kind of stuff that I wanted to do, but we just ended up in these in these bands that, um, you know, yeah, people wanted to do stuff that was a lot more melodic and and you know I remember sitting down. I had a drummer that I played with who, uh, the focus was. How complex could you make the time signature for the drums and how many times could you change it over the course of the song? And it, so it wasn't about the, you know, again, making something, serving the song. It was just about showing off 
from a musicality standpoint, and they were all so good. And I mean, if you have seen me play guitar, I mean, I'm, I'm okay at what I do for this, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not this amazing, uh, you know, soloist or anything. Yeah. And so I, I really struggled. It was one of the reasons why I started to learn to play guitar was because I started off singing and I didn't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I felt uncomfortable just standing up with a microphone. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as I as I played more and more, that was always the struggle for me was to find people that were willing to play again hard and fast and and, and do the kind of stuff I wanted to do. So it took getting to this spot with with these guys to to really achieve that finally for me. And I've you know of all the things I've done in my whole life, I'm more proud of this and I enjoy this more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, Alex, I did want to ask you one more question about sure. so your time in Boston. Well, during that time, I guess that was probably before Dropkick Murphys got big, right? Uh, were they I mean, yes the, and no. the scene? They, they were, you know, the Boston's and mm-hmm. uh, Dropkicks. Dropkicks were getting bigger. In, yeah. in fact, I <laughs> I left the band right before we were playing the show where we were actually opening up for the Dropkicks oh, yeah. on their uh, hometown throwdown show. They do like a one week long yeah. set of shows in Boston, and they have bands, you know, line up for them ahead of time and. Mm-hmm. We were scheduled to be one of them, and, and the show before it was a great show, and just afterwards was so miserable. I was like, fuck this. I'm just, I'm done. Yeah. You know, if, if that was a show that I thought was great, and it's this bad afterwards, I don't want to play the next one <laughs> and see what that's like. You know, that's just even more pressure I don't need. I'm here to have fun. Yeah. If it's not fun anymore, why am I here? Exactly, yeah. Uh, and, it, yeah, so I, I left right before we played with them. You know, you brought them up, but... yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always been curious what it'd be like to play in a scene with a band that got that big. Because you know the biggest we got around here is probably anti scene. Yeah, and you know they're sure. they're not big on that level. Mm-hmm. The scene used to be bigger here though years ago. I mean the, mm-hmm. the world has changed around us yeah. obviously, but I, I you know I've been in Charlotte for I think this is coming up on year eleven now. But from all, everybody that I've talked to that's been here, you know, as, as a native to here, what I hear is that going back 15, 20 years, this scene was much bigger here. Yeah, it was it was pretty good for a little while, and then. I always say, like, the years that I was out of it, and I know that everybody's like this. Well, I, when I wasn't playing music. There was nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found out there really wasn't a whole lot going on. I mean, there were bands. There were some good bands. It just, there weren't a whole lot of people going out to shows. There weren't a whole lot of great bands. And it was you know, just a handful of, of good bands. But it's it's coming back around. And I think it's better now than it's ever been as long as I've been in it. Now, there might not be as many people coming out to shows right now. But um, the talent is just, it's beyond, way beyond what it ever was. I kind of wonder if some of that has to do with the lull for a while and like people just kind of lost interest because there wasn't a lot of exciting stuff going on. And now yeah. it's like, yeah, I know you're trying to get that out there and we all appreciate it. Like, look, yeah. there's a lot of really cool, exciting shit going on in our scene right Well, not right now because of the fucking <laughs> plague. <laughs> Nothing was happening right now. But, you know, up until that point, yeah, it was, it was pretty fucking exciting, some of the stuff going on. And, and you know, just... having grown up in LA. And, you know, the scene when I was growing up in L.A. was really fragmented. And then I started mm-hmm. going out to see shows before Green Day hit. And, and when Green Day hit, the whole scene in Los Angeles totally changed. And there was another one of the places where I walked away from music for a while because all of a sudden it was, you know, these guys showing up to um, uh, showing up to shows that knew nothing about the music. And they just came to fight, basically, which wasn't, you know, wasn't my scene at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody was everything was really fragmented. We used to kind of joke about the fact that you'd go into a club in Los Angeles and no one would be up front. Everyone would be standing in the back with their arms folded. And there was this kind of, you know, yeah, you're not really impressing me sort of mentality that was going around. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to Charlotte and I, and I took a gap in a couple of years and I came back out here and I started to play. But I was like floored. I remember, I remember going to the Milestone for the first time 
and just seeing like everybody really seemed to embrace each other. And then the other thing for me was that the scene here was so not fragmented. And I don't know mm -hmm. if that's because it's got smaller or if it was always this way, but like, you know, Displacer, we would go and it, there'd be a metal band and there'd be, you know, you guys as a punk band and yeah. like everybody was gelling and everybody's getting along and everybody's enjoying all of the music and supporting each other. And for me, that was like a such a breath of fresh air. Like Los yeah. Angeles years ago, it wasn't like that at all. That yeah, didn't happen in Boston either. The two did not meet. Yeah, it would just be a fight. Yep, it's kind of always been that way. Uh, even back when we were playing in the like in the mid '90s, we played with metal bands at that time: Pure Hate, Deviant, just to name a couple of them. But um, I, I think, and I've said this before, but you know how there was that lull and then it came back. I look around and I see a lot of the same people that were playing back then. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that we've all been through the family thing we've all had to step away from it a little bit and i think that when we came back by the time you get to be our age you've got a new appreciation for all kinds of different kinds of music sure. yeah. and um not that you don't when you're younger but you really become a little bit more um filled out with your musical taste mm -hmm. and uh you just get better and i think a lot of people when they take that break from it and come back i know i did when i first came back i was like i was trying to play everything kind of simple because i didn't want to like just rehash everything i did previously i didn't want van huskins to sound like the accidents so I just started playing kind of simple and just doing, I'm going to do what serves the song. And what served the song turned into me doing a little bit more with it. Right. And, right. and I've learned that I'm a hell of a better musician now than I was back then. Sure. Which yeah, is yeah. funny. We were listening the other night and, and uh, I think I pegged one of your major bass influences that if it's, if it's not intentional, it's a little uncanny. You sound a lot like Bad Religion's bass player hmm. when you're doing stuff. It's like we were listening to, what was it? What was the album? Uh, Suffer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, man, that, that sounds a lot. I have to go back and listen to that. I've never, I've never, I've been, I like Bad Religion, but I've never been a huge fan. I, I, so. I was listening to it. I was like, this really reminds me of Mike's bass playing. But when I was uh, younger, I did listen to a lot more Bad Religion, and, and I'm yeah. sure I picked up some stuff from there. I, I have mm -hmm. to pay my own uh, similar compliment. So I think the first time you and I met was that was the, the first time that I saw you guys play, and you guys were the first like quote unquote like punk band I saw when I got here in Charlotte. I think mm -hmm. you were wearing a Queers T-shirt. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, so like instantly for me, like there was a there was a recognition there, and then you guys got up on stage, mm -hmm. and it was like. Like, oh, I like I have family here. I have, you know, like like people that, that know what I know are here. And for me, that was awesome and just was all the more reason why I wanted to keep coming out and playing. And, you know, I think yeah. the only difference between me back then and now is back then I was utterly obsessed with my riffage, not sounding like anything else anybody had done. Like, this must sound different. It cannot be the same thing. And now it's like. Okay, we're playing punk slash hardcore. It is almost impossible for those chord <laughs> progressions that we're stringing together to not have been done exactly. yeah. in Did some you pick fashion. Three or four chords? Yes. So unless done. it yeah. like precisely mimics somebody else's stuff, it's like I don't give a shit. Anymore. Well, there's even times where I'm, I don't care about that so much. Like yeah. we'll play a song and and, and we'll I'll go, man, that's the chord progression from blah blah blah. We're using it anyway. Yeah. Or like the time that Eric was like, write us write a bass line that sounds kind of like the Go Go's. Um, I was like, I'll do you one better. I'll play that bass line. In this song. <laughs> so I yeah. played the bass line, and it, it fit. And I'm like, you know, if, if anybody notices, I'm fine with it because we're kind of paying tribute. Mm -hmm. But it's all been done before. Oh, it has. <laughs> I mean, there, there, the, the, what gets really funny is we were sitting in here, I guess it was a couple months back, and because we have very different backgrounds musically and very different influences coming in some you know there's plenty of crossover but there's a lot of stuff that just you know we're in different worlds with that zig's like oh, i got this riff i came up with and he starts playing it. i was like zig that is a megadeth riff and he, he's like i don't listen to them i was like i know you don't listen to them he's like but that is literally like note for note a megadeth riff and i know you did it completely by accident but there it is 
And it was just, it was bizarre that, and that by itself told me right there. It's like, you can avoid that all you want to just make it cool and make it your own. It doesn't matter otherwise. And then every now and then you do come across one where you're like, oh no, we have to get rid of that because it sounds so much like something or, you know, we have to change it a little bit. You know, we have to make this our own. I have one like that, that I left alone and these guys didn't recognize it and I have to come clean. I recognized it. Uh, And it's not one that we're playing right now because I never came up with lyrics for it. It's one that. I'm planning on doing lyrics for for the second album, but there's a sale on sale. Uh, yeah, the 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 second half of the chorus. Okay. Uh, the actual intervals of the chord progression are almost straight out of an older Amon Amarth song, <laughs> but it's like translated into more of a punky thing. Mm. And the way the rhythms go and the way the drums go with it, unless you're really looking for it, you probably wouldn't catch it. Yeah, uh, but it's there, and I was like. It's not going to say anything, see how far we can go with this. But yeah, I'm yeah, I'm going to put lyrics to it. It'll go on the second album, and I have zero interest in changing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't matter. Well, I'll, I'll kind of add this while we're sort of on the subject a little bit, and then I do want to ask you a little, a little bit more about being in L.A. Um, but I think one of the reasons why the Charlotte scene is like that and why we do mix the genre so much, and I will say there's still some splintering in the scene. There's still like some there's – there's a faction of the metal scene that doesn't cross over with our oh, scene. Oh, very definitely. Um, but, Don't get me started. <laughs> and I don't even want to get into that. But, you know, but there are bands like, you know, um, Death of August that plays with us. And, yeah. You know, when we played with Deviant and, and stuff. But I'll go and say that, that I think the reason that works out so well around here is because – the punk bands around here aren't just punk bands. I mean, they're pretty. You guys have a lot of metal in your music. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Huskins has metal influences. Mm-hmm. Trash Room has metal influences. Mm-hmm. We've all got some metal influences, so that's mm-hmm. why I think it works so well in this area and why we're all so open Sh- to doing that. Charlotte is responsible for the metal influences that I started to pick up because of the shows that we went to mm-hmm. uh, playing in Displacer. Uh, you know, uh, Jared Starnes, a good friend of mine, um, really started to expose me to a lot of doom metal and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And when I started to hear that, that I got really hooked on. Um, and, you know, Displacer was an interesting combination of blending that stuff with my punk background because I can never get out of the punk thing. But yeah. to begin to discover that was really cool. But that was absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, because of part of the scene here, I've I've brought more metal into my genre and some of the stuff we're doing recently. Again, kind of getting into like almost a thrash thing would never have happened if I would have spent all these years in Los Angeles. That yeah. happened because of here. Let's talk a little bit more about you being in Los Angeles. So you, I guess you said you grew up there. Yeah. So you grew up there during the the quote unquote, and I hate the term, hair metal scene. But you probably yes. weren't involved so in that, or, or I, I were remember you aware e- of it. Yeah, I, very much so. I remember even as a as a kid, uh, you know, going back. I, I moved to Los Angeles when I was, I think, ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, which is about the time, I think, when you, you start to realize that, like, oh, there's this music thing and people play yeah, music for a living. Exactly, there's bands yeah. and there's these different. Um, and even then, I remember, I, and, and no offense because there's some great musicians out there and some, and some great people. <laughs> but, like, I saw the big teased hair and the makeup and, like, the, you know, poison and the Dawkins or whatever. And, and I 
like I, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, there was the, the the campiness and the glam and everything else. Um, just it never. Yeah, I just I thought I thought it's not real. It's all for a show. And and I I'm a person I, I really like things to come from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I like things to be raw and for there to be an energy there. I don't want things that are really, um, you know, made up and and, and put on for show. Yeah. Right? There's a difference between putting on a show and 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 giving people a good time, but then you know that kind of over the top thing that happens. So um, so you know I, the, things that were big at the time, U2 and REM, and again a, a lot of that stuff. Um, and I I didn't have any particular genre i was just sort of exploring all kinds of different uh, different mm. kinds of music and again there was all that stuff that you grow up on that you you really you know you really like um the kids that i was playing with were definitely into that the cure i remember covering um uh, uh love cats i think was the name of the song and then 10 yeah. 15 and uh some other stuff um covering some beatles songs my, my first memory of um, looking down in the audience and seeing people uh, sing words along with me was playing a high school talent show at Burbank High School, um, and we did uh, Revolution by the Beatles. Okay. And so there's all these parents down in the audience, you know, and I was, again, I was 16 years old, I think. But I'm looking down in the audience, and all these parents are singing along with me. I remember we're the last band to play the ta- talent show, so we walked off stage, and all the parents are leaving out into the main lobby. And as I went off stage and came out in the lobby where all the parents were, it was a big high school, there's a couple thousand people there. There were like 30 parents that all had their arms around each other in a big circle, and they were all singing Revolution <laughs> at the top of their lungs. And I remember thinking, like, you know, like you, you feel powerful for a second. You're like, wow, I, I did that, even though it's not my music. Like, yeah. and, I, and I was fully conscious of that. It was like it was it was what we did up there that made that happen, and that was a, that had a big draw for me. So as a little time went on, um, I started to again I, I get exposed to um, uh, to punk rock, and I started to try to pursue that. But the guys that I was playing with that wasn't what they wanted. Um, and again, so I, I really kind of uh, I, I kind of struggled. It was a couple of years, um, and again before Green Day got big. Um, but I remember we were somehow we got a hold copy of Nirvana's Bleach before Nevermind came out, mm-hmm. and we were all kind of hooked on that. Um, and then I started to discover Screeching Weasel and yeah. Queers and that kind of stuff. Um, and I just fully got hooked into that kind of three chord pop punk kind yeah. of, you know. Um, so I started a band with a couple friends of mine. Um, I was working in a record shop in North Hollywood at the time. And I was trying to come up with the most obnoxious, snotty punk rock name that I could come up with. <laughs> and at the time, Full House was a big deal and the record shop rented videotapes. And so Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Uh, had like a series of videotapes. Oh, yeah. So we named ourselves Mary-Kate and Ashley, and we changed the spelling of it a little bit, and I'll get to this, why this is important in a second. Um, but we changed the spelling. We hyphenated it, and they don't, or vice versa, I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, so we went out and started playing songs as Mary-Kate and Ashley, um, and that was like my first punk band. And again, I had kind of pulled that together with some folks. We played at this music shop, and the music shop took out, it was like a Battle of the Bands kind of thing, and the music shop took out a full-page ad in the local music paper. <laughs> so we played the show, and there were like five people there. I mean, okay. nobody cared who we were. And, you know, it was like two weeks later, my bass player, gets, who's the one who set up the show, got uh, a letter from Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's <laughs> agent with a cease and desist oh, saying yeah. that we needed to change the name. Uh, and to this day, illusions of uh, grandeur, I guess. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I saw Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen documentary, and I was compelled to watch just to see if there'd be any mention of like, yeah, and, you know, these punk guys actually named themselves after us at one point. Um, anyway, uh, the, uh, the, the yeah, I guess the, 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 there was there yeah, was no right, mention, I guess. No, so no, I'm angry no, at the no, end. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, the nothing that I ever did in, in Los Angeles, uh, you know, really uh, got big for any reason. I mean, you know, we would play to audiences of, you know, 20 or 30 people, but nothing extraordinary. The, the closest brush with anything I have anybody would uh, know is at the time, uh, Real Big Fish opened for us okay. uh, on some show, um, you know, years and years and years before they turned into anything. Yeah. Um, but that was another, I think, one of the, the struggles for me was the, the closest I was getting to the punk that I wanted was all of these ska bands started to emerge and the people that mm. I knew around me. And I was never a ska fan. I still am not. I mean, it's <laughs> not, I like, I love Operation Avi, but like for the most part, that genre just doesn't do anything for me. So again, I, like I had a lot of these uh, near misses. Um, got to see a ton of great shows. Uh, there was a kid who lived in some of the neighborhoods we were in, um, and, I, and I won't remember his name or the name of his club, but his place started, he convinced his parents to let him have shows in the basement mm -hmm. uh, of a house that he lived in in Chatsworth, Los Angeles, I think. Um, and then uh, that came to an end because the neighbors finally had enough of it after like two years or whatever, but that actually got reasonably famous from what I recall at the time. Uh, and then he rented out a, a garage in like a strip of garages at an auto body place and, uh, and there would be shows there. Um, and that was kind of what I, I, I started to then, uh, find myself in a lot of these like sort of gutter punk shows. Uh, a bunch of friends of mine started to make friends with some of the gutter punks on Hollywood Boulevard and we would go hang out with them. Mm. Um, but again, as far, you know, I got to see a lot of awesome stuff. I got to see some scary stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was nothing that I did back in Los Angeles that was, um, you know, noteworthy or particular. I mean, we, we played, but but you never got to play in front of really big audiences and, and no band uh, ever stuck around long enough to be able to, you know, do anything interesting or important with. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was, again, not until I moved here. I, I moved to Florida for a couple of years and, and, I, and I didn't uh, do any music in Florida. Florida seemed to have no music scene. Yeah, uh, at least that I could find. <laughs> well, now I know that there were bands like, uh, for instance, Floor that were playing in Florida while I was there. And I loved later on. Uh, and I wish I would have known that stuff was going on because I would have gone and checked that out. Um, but again, it wasn't until I got back here and I met up with uh, Jared and started playing music that I kind of rediscovered. And, and the stuff I've done here has been more important than anything I ever did in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I, I lived in Florida for four years. I was in Gainesville, which you would think... The city that Tom Petty came from, they're like the there was this guitar shop that worked on my guitars, and they're one of their big claim to fame is the Allman Brothers used to go there and shop for guitars and yeah. shit. And, you know, you'd think a town like that would have it's a music scene. Oh hell no. no! So even uh, with Lester and Jake being from Gainesville, there wasn't really much. Of a scene God there? no, dude! I was trying like from the moment I hit the ground there because I had left the Nirvana cover band, and that sort of put the taste in my mouth of okay, I need to get back into this. And I really want to do originals. I, I want to get back into it seriously, write our own stuff, and actually get a decent band going. Uh, the only things I got were I happened across a cover band full of uh, Alex Jones fanatics. And that was <laughs> Wait, a cover band of a Alex Jones? A cover band full of Alex Jones fanatics. And it was, it was funny because they asked me about covers. Well, why don't you bring cover <laughs> Well, you bring covers to the table. I was like, because I want to play originals. Let's do. Let's write something. Uh, and now, I would think a, a band full of Alex Jones fanatics would be really good from a lyrical material no. standpoint. You <laughs> no, know, they, they didn't, didn't have like their the own. UFO lizard people. <laughs> they didn't whatever. have their own. And it's wow. funny because the drummer was like the most like heavily devoted, and he was kind of the ringleader. And he was on a. What got me out of that band? My my straw was is he he just went on this fucking rant behind the kit. He stopped playing. 
and it was a bunch of they, they, they kind of shit. You know, they were trying to get us to move into the cities away from the wilderness, and he goes on this this fucking tirade for like 15 minutes, and finally winds up with, and they worship Satan. And I was just like, hey, don't talk shit about Satan, motherfucker. (laughs) And it, 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 it brought him up short. He was like... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I was like, you didn't, but come on, man. Will you shut the fuck up and can we play some music? And I just didn't want to come back. And after that, there was another band, and I don't give a shit about saying their name. It was another band called Vitreous. And they were these guys in Gainesville. The guitar player was very, very, very impressed with himself. Mm-hmm. And he just, he was determined that he was going to basically start a Swedish melodic death metal uh, uprising in Gainesville. And he was very impressed with himself. And I was going to come play bass and maybe sing for him. And I listened to their stuff. Well, yeah, I can do that. that. That sounds good to me. And he comes at me with, you don't have long hair like the rest of us, so we don't oh, want you to even come oh. try out. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I can't remember who it was, but I, I actually... Uh, See, I had the I had the opposite growing up, which is I had long hair playing in punk bands. And that back in those days, like that was verboten. So I used to get teased all the time for being a hippie because I'm in a you know, punk band with my long hair. Was like, well, the, the irony was I actually... I never ran call shit for it around here. But, it, again, yeah. it, this, you didn't have it up in a mohawk. No, no, I ran yeah, across I somebody. <laughs> I ran across somebody that lives kind of in the Charlotte area. And I don't think he plays actively anymore, but he was, I don't remember who it was. Uh, he played with somebody that had been around and played with some f- fairly big name acts, metal wise. And these guys had opened for them and somebody else. And I had mentioned them on a Facebook post. We were talking about this kind of you know what's the douchiest shit you've run into with music. Yeah, and he was like. You know what? This should make you feel better because they opened for us and they were the most like ass kissing jackasses I've ever seen in my life. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, they were complete douchebags. <laughs> and I was like, well, th- that kind of makes me feel a little bit better that I dodged a bullet. I'm, I'm listening to you talk and it's something is occurring to me, which is, you know, it, we all have the same experiences and, I, and I'm sure you do too, that, that like growing up, there were so many people that I knew that just had severe egos and there were examples for me i the very first band i played uh one of the kids that was sort of the leader of that band just had this huge ego and he wasn't that great of a musician and and my first band was one of the best experiences that i could have had because it told me right off the bat what was going to be important to me in every band i played thereafter Mm -hmm. and how much he didn't want to deal with that Mm -hmm. um but i realize now like i can't think of anyone that we play with or around that has that kind of ego anymore. And I don't know, like, as if we get older, that the people with the egos, like, drop off and they can't hang anymore. <laughs> they just, like, go write stuff in their basement. I've or... heard some rumbles and rumors, but not anything that really gets talked about much. Yeah, Is it that they're, they're thing where if you there. don't know yeah. them, it's you? Like, that could that could be. <laughs> could be. Could it used be. to be me. I'll be you honest. I was... <laughs> I, back in high school oh, when I was playing for Entropy, I was a complete dick, and I'll be I'll be fairly honest. It was because, you know, I had been this this fucking outcast, ostracized nerd before I picked up a guitar and a bass, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's like I could fucking play. You know, I'd be on the phone with a girl, and she'd be like, "What are you listening to?" I'd be like, "Me." She's like, "Really? That's you?" you know, <laughs> I was way better instrument instrumentalist back then than I am now because I play, play spent a lot more time on it. Yeah, and I did have a massive ego. Like Entropy basically ended because. Uh, I didn't think Shannon was putting in enough effort, and this was not an, an indictment of Shannon. I don't want to turn this into a fuck Shannon moment. On, on the <laughs> we love podcast. you, Shannon. <laughs> we love you, Shannon. Yeah, this is not dogging you, but that was how I felt at the time, that he wasn't putting enough into it, that he, he wasn't buying gear, like there was too much effort to get him to practice and shit, and I just kind of got my ass on my shoulders about it. That's why like, I called him out to a show, and... Uh, I, I made mention. I was like, you know, he was at Tommy's, and it's the first show he'd seen. Well, first time I'd seen him in twenty years. I was like, this is a man who knows what it's like to be locked in a room with my ego for a couple of hours, <laughs> and he can tell you after watching me play music for twenty plus years that I have grown not one fucking bit. 
in all this time. <laughs> so yeah, I, it, that 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 has already been smooth. But yeah, I had a massive ego back then, and now it's like that that got undercut for me when I started playing again. Like yeah, I had my nice hiatus. And, you know, that's right around the time that YouTube really started cranking back up. Mm. And when you think you're a badass and then it takes like a 30 second search on YouTube to find an eight year old that can run rings around you, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter what instrument you play. Exactly. Your mm. ego for in terms of technical skill should honestly really just fly the fuck out the window. It doesn't matter anymore. Or it shouldn't. I mean, I know there are still people that cling to that. I just don't find it terribly important. I, I spent so many years around really good musicians that it gave me a hang up about my ability to play guitar, and it took and it took a number of years to realize that like I do my own thing, and I'm and I'm happy with what I do, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. That's the wrong bar to hold. That's the wrong standard. What matters is that I enjoy the stuff that that I play. I enjoy the stuff that we play and the stuff that we write. It's the kind of thing I want to listen to. I still like listening to our stuff. It doesn't get old for me. Yeah. It doesn't matter how technical of a guitar playing or knowing your you know knowing your scales or any of the rest of that shit do you enjoy what you do that's it that's I still all listen to it to. i'm like hey we did that mm -hmm. yeah i still yeah. listen to stuff i recorded you know 30 years ago that, that i love i mean it's just mm -hmm. it's good music it's not very, very technical i mean because we were we were really learning back then but we wrote some good songs it, for us it, to not really know what we were doing it doesn't need to be it, it doesn't need to be technical to be good it doesn't need to be technical for people to enjoy it and, I, and then i go and i think about the things that i enjoy the most most of my favorite music is really fucking simple. Yeah, I mean, because Ingve uh, Malmsteen can play circles around most everybody else in the world, but his music is hard to listen to. I have yeah, no no desire, no that's <laughs> not for me. Sure, but you know, I can listen to Ramones all day yep. long. Attempt at coming out of retirement in the middle of that high as I guess it was about 2000. And I had, uh, you, I've told you about this song, even though it hasn't really materialized. We were going to write a, we were going to do a uh, Scottish themed 
joke punk band about basically herding and fucking sheep, and I'd written a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Me and the guy I was doing that with were drunk when we came up with the idea, but we, we, uh. we decided to try to get together some musicians we knew and see if we could make this happen. And uh, it was me and him. I was playing guitar. He was playing bass. And then we had another guitar player and a drummer, and they were both jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you for nothing, those guys were honestly some of the most technically talented musicians I've ever played Mm -hmm. with. Uh, But I'd start showing them my riffage, and the other guy could could follow along with me pretty well. We were like, this is the song. And they were like, that's cool, but let's do something like this. You know, all this like offbeat jazzy shit. And we were like, look, guys. You guys are in a complete other universe in terms of talent and technical skill than we are. But do you think it might be possible for you guys to dial it back a little bit and actually play a fucking song with us? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, instead of this this wacky, super technical, intro, in, you know, uh, improvised stuff, which, granted, that takes a massive amount of skill. It really does. But we were just like, we just want to play a song, man. Come on. I, and I, I, that was one practice. And then I, I always appreciated the kids that, that I played with that had that that technical capability and the ones that really understood the mathematics and music and all the rest of that stuff. And that is absolutely its own skill. But I never liked the way any of it sounded. Yeah. It just, it again, it sounded like, I, I used to call it spider goulash, which is just weird for the sake of being weird, not because there's actually an objective to it. It was just to prove off how crazy you could be, how well you understood music. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, okay, that's great for you, but that's not it's not what I want to listen to. It's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I ran into that a lot with uh, kids from Berkeley in oh, Boston. Imagine, yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, let's get together and play a song. And they're, like, they're doing a solo for 14 minutes. And <laughs> you're like, I, do you want me to play? Because nothing you're doing right now I can play along with. Mm-hmm. Like you're not even in a time signature. I don't understand what's going on. Which yeah. kind of translates if you you know if you if you've listened to the album, we we have a hard time telling each other no when somebody comes up with a with a riff. We're like, yeah. okay, well let's just fucking do it. And like the difference between something like Turn of Events and Flenser is like so far to the opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's still us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, second album is going to be a lot like that. I mean, that was one of those things that I talked about. The first band I was in, the, the kid would say no all the time, and I thought to myself, and I, and I mean, I, this has just always been the way that I think. But don't say no. Try it. Try yeah. try it and see. And the number of times I know that, like in my life, I've thought to myself, my instinct is that something wouldn't work, and then we do, and especially like the way that Dave and I write. That, you know, my instinct is like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then we do it or he plays it. And I'm like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and now I know, like, I, I basically don't ever, uh, I, I don't ever make a, a predisposition about what's going to work or not. Like, we're going to, we're going to try it and see. And if it works, awesome. And if not, we'll do something else. We do that all the time with Van Huskins. There's even a time where, um, the song Farm or Not at the end, the stuff I do on bass, I was doing a lot more of. And at one point, Ben's like, why don't you try to like, just not play right here or, you know, just keep it simple. And then, like, on the next time you play your like, extra stuff, I'm like, man, I don't know. It just don't work that way. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. As soon as we tried it, I was like, oh, no. If that works. <laughs> yeah. So I've learned, like, not, not to shoot an idea down, yep. even if it's taken away what I felt like was taken away something of mine. Because yep. in the end, it's like the restraint is just as good as, as the right. rest, all the extra notes. Rest assured, and, and this, is, this can be small consolation at some points, but those of us who know what the fuck you're doing – like other musicians, when when we do watch you play and we see you go into a spot where you're really subdued, we know you're doing that on purpose. And yeah. we know that level of restraint, you have to have some control to do that too because yeah. it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I had trouble for years after playing so much like speedy thrash shit 
not throwing extra notes into every fucking thing I did because that was just how I played. Mm. And with these guys, I actually stopped doing gallops with a lot of us. I was like, okay, well, when we hear it on the recording, you don't hear it anyway. And second of all, I'm trying to sing while I'm doing this shit, and the gallops make it that much harder to do accurately. So I'll just, you know, I'll keep it simple. I'll serve the song, and it lets me do both at once because I am not a natural at that. Like, most of, you know, I did it in Damage Done, and I fucking hated it. Uh, largely because there was a lot of pushing with that one. Like, there there was, no, you're going to write lyrics for this now. We don't care if they suck. You're going to do it now. And it's like, there's a lot of pushing. And here it's like, okay, when you come up with something, it's cool. Yeah. When, when you've got Alex behind you doing, you know, 350 beats a minute, it makes it really easy to, uh, yeah, if you've got to find one of those spots where you've got to kind of give up the gallop for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the way that Alex keeps a beat through the song just helps smooth all of that out. You know, we we get uh, we've a number of compliments about how tight we are, but I think that's largely due to just the way that Alex kind of that's keeps things together and the, and the, and the beat that he keeps and how solidly mm-hmm. he plays. You got to have a good drummer to, to be able to do mm-hmm. like the kind of things that you do where you change kind of on the dime sometimes from doing one thing to another. So definitely, you got to have a solid drummer for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You always know. You always know he's in the pocket. He gets this look on his face and his head starts swaying. His tongue sticks out. <laughs> his tongue sticks out. I he can't help the tongue. <laughs> he literally looks like a dog with his head out the window. Just enjoying the ride. It's like, okay, now we know Alex is having a good There's time. There's nothing that I enjoy more than when we're down here practicing and I intentionally speed up the tempo to the point that it's no longer comfortable for them. <laughs> And they lose it. I don't lose it though. That's the thing. You try to make me lose it, and I no, don't. no. You, you, you <laughs> vocally, I'll lose it's, it. It's usually it's so. so Alex Something will start goes doing away. it, and I'll see what's going on, and right. then we just and at first, yeah. Usually Ziggy looks over at me, and we each smile because we know we're just <laughs> well, going to set there, Dave off. There's a specific song that, that he does this with, and it's Carousel. Yep. And the thing of it is, is with that song. That second verse hits, and the vocals are way busier at the same time that they're as forceful as anything else that I do. So we're talking about, like, pushing the edge of my lung power to do it normally anyway, and this asshole speeds it up to double speed. The bass playing's fine. I mean, I, like I said, I'm doing root notes and, and just kind of following along, but trying to sing it, it's like, and they're just dying laughing at me. And eventually, I'll just stop and look at him like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dick. Now, we've done it so many times. Like you've stopped letting it phase you when we do it now. Yeah, but, yeah. we've mm. actually gone the opposite direction recently. <laughs> where now we're intentionally playing shit so slow. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, actually, that wouldn't make a bad intermission. We should think, do that sometimes. I think at least every one of our songs has had a a one tenth speed porno yeah. soundtrack version of it played <laughs> at, at least once. Yeah, yeah we like yeah. to do that too. And, yeah. and, and sometimes Ben does it because you said you like to play stuff fast. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, Ben, you need to speed up because he plays too slow sometimes. Mm. He's like, I'm just getting in the groove, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, to speed it up. But, you know, we have played intentionally uh, just about all of our songs like at one tenth speed just, mm-hmm. just, just, just to jam on for a little start bit. Start going, yeah. yeah. That's kind of been the great thing with these guys. You know, all my past bands, it's kind of like you get together to create music. Mm-hmm. And they've come to you with an almost finished product. And they're like, here's what we want you to do. Mm. And it's like, okay, but, you know, I'm not really inputting anything here. And with them, they're like, I've got a riff. And the final song sounds nothing like maybe what they brought to the table. Either yeah. I've changed some aspect of it or we realize something doesn't work. We change it. Maybe a riff from a different song gets brought in as the chorus or the bridge. And there's just uh, it's a lot of interaction and in, in really feeling like we all have input yeah well i learned that lesson from you off of musings that was a, the, actually the first song i wrote for this band 
and I was expecting it to kind of be this blazing fast fucking almost thrashy song going all the way through it. And then he did something while we were at practice one time. We just had the recorder going, and that's what what he'll do. He, you know, when the song's not cemented, he'll keep playing around with shit. And that thing that you hear in the last verse of, of Musings where it just kind of slows down and it just... It, it, it's not as fast, but it, it, I guess the only way I can describe it, it sounds threatening. It's yeah. like the way it goes. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I will never tell him what the fuck to do on a song ever because <laughs> he did that with something that I wrote and made it sound 20 times better than, than anything that would have been in my head. Well, well this so, is a good place for me to say where I, th- I think that, you know, when, when you've got a band that does that and does that well and, and gives everybody a little bit of creative input on it. Right. Like with Van Huskins, Eric pretty much brings the song to practice, but by the time we're done with it, it's something totally something different. Yeah. Because yeah. We, we all take that input. And I think you guys, you're a three-piece band. There's a lot of great three-piece bands in Charlotte. And I honestly think that's a lot easier to do when you've got a three-piece band. It is. When you get a, a second guitarist in the room, I think a lot of times, a lot of that kind of goes out the window. It does. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, so I think <laughs> you guys sound a lot like Van Huskins in the songwriting process and the, the fun that you have in the room. And, and I just feel like that's a, a thing that comes much easier for three-piece bands. Oh, very much so. We had, we had the vocalist <laughs> early on. We spent yeah. damn near the band, three years An extra guitarist or a vocalist in the room. Yeah, yeah we had the vocalist <laughs> in the room. We, we spent a long time trying to find a vocalist. Um so, look, yeah. So <laughs> let's let's try it carefully here. Well, so. so <laughs> And if you say anything that you're like later you're gonna cut out, let me know. Well, I'm not gonna say anything mean about anybody. Anything Everything Dave that Alex said. says. <laughs> yeah, anything I said, kill it. No, there's, there's nothing left but Ziggy's talking. So I, I've I've almost yeah I've almost always done uh, three piece bands, and and part of that, if I'm honest, is is because of my stripped down guitar playing. Mm. I just had a really hard time playing with other people. It for many years it, it wasn't an ego thing, but it had to be my band because other people couldn't. Uh, if somebody else brought a riff, I didn't know how to play along. Yeah. So so if somebody else could play along to my stuff, that would work. But if I had to play somebody else's stuff, I was stuck. Um, so so for almost my whole life, it was three piece bands in, in one flavor or another. When we started this band, um, so I was playing a Displacer, which was also a three piece band, yeah. and I was getting to a spot. Uh, I think for both Jared and, and myself, it was just getting to a spot where it was becoming not fun. Um, I think for for Jared and I both for, for slightly different reasons. Yeah. Um, so I had always had this you know uh displacer was a, a doom punk band i don't know if you what you would call it yes well that's pretty sludge good, probably but I, yeah, yeah um but i always had this again you know sort of punk rock stuff uh, in the background so new bomb turks is one of my uh, huge influences oh, yeah. and i had love a ton them. of stuff yeah i love those guys um had a ton of stuff kind of in that in that genre um you know kind of building up in the queue that i'd be writing in the evenings and so when it was clear that that was kind of coming to an end i you know i wanted to start something up here so i had met dave um and dave and i got along like two peas in a pod and, and clearly had some even though we come from really different musical backgrounds it was clear that there was like a musical connection there that we kind of spoke the same language and, and wrote really well together yeah 
And then the question was uh, finding a, a drummer, but I really wanted a front person, to, to a, a vocalist. And my thought was this, um, you know, at this stage in our lives, we're not going to sell a million records or become famous or anything like that. And I have no desire to pursue that. What I do want to do is I want to put on a good show. Yeah. Um, and I think so often, uh, you know, in the world that we live in, what you see is often affects you more than what you hear, right? Mm -hmm. If if we go out to the milestone or or you know or someplace else, um, you'll go home. You'll hear music that you really like, but you'll go home the next day. If if you saw something crazy the night before, you'll go home and you'll tell people about it the next day. You should have seen what I saw last night. Yeah. And for me, so often <clears throat> when you've got a dedicated front person that can really like go into the audience, um, like uh, so. So one of my big inspirations is Tiff Tantrum. I was um, just thinking. Yes, I mean thing. we we I, I brought these guys out to well I brought Alex out to see her, um, and, and we'll talk about some of the the folks that we uh, tried out as vocalists, but. Um, but we brought a couple of people out to, to see her because she's she's that. She goes yeah. out in the audience and she makes them a part of the show. And you can see that connection, that bond. And then when you're playing, you know, 200 beats a minute or whatever it is that we play, then, then you get some space to just focus on being able to keep all that together and keep it tight. So we really started off uh, with the idea of being a four-piece and having a dedicated vocalist. <laughs> so <clears throat> I remember this conversation really well. But so um, Dave and I, uh, I still had the, the rehearsal space. Um, uh, we were working uh, with Steve Poe, and I shared a space up at um, okay, uh, Nota. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Nota Studios. And um, uh, and Displacer had kind of become defunct at that point. And so Dave and I started playing, and we were looking for a drummer. So um, I had had a guy. I think I was just by myself on the first guy. Yeah, you up. were. Alex was the second guy. Um, yeah. And, and, and so so I had one guy up one night, and within five seconds I realized, like, nope, this isn't going to work. Um, and then the second drummer I tried was Alex. Mm -hmm. And again, I was, and you know, and now I'm sitting here next to, you know, my two best friends in the whole world. And I was just so fortunate. It was like mm -hmm. that was serendipity that Alex walked in the room. Yeah. Um, and then we musically bonded and we personally bonded. And yeah. like you couldn't ask for a better set of Right. And for the first year, we were like, okay, I don't care if we have to suck his dick. We're keeping him yeah. around. <laughs> so who would have known that, that Zig Thank would God just take care of that? <laughs> <laughs> so I remember saying to Dave, I said, like once it was clear after two or three rehearsals that Alex was going to stick around, I remember saying to Dave, so you know what's going to happen now is it's going to take us fucking forever to find a vocalist because this was just way too easy. Like Alex just landed on our lap, yeah. literally. God. And so much in your window. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, and like it was just you don't. You know. so so then we went the on radio. and we I think we counted a couple of weeks ago we sat and we kinda of went and had like a little going back through old times, but it was about twelve or fifteen, it's like in somewhere there. in that neighborhood. Uh, people that we auditioned, <laughs> oh, and wow. there were. I feel some, like it was more than that. But yeah, it was. It was like a uh, revolving door. Yeah, there, there were some. There were some really nice people. Uh, there was one person that actually uh, stuck around. Uh, we tried for a while. There were some people that were just dumpster fires. Uh, not only in terms of uh, what they produced, but then some of the aftermath of uh, this isn't going to work out. There were we people had... that brought out the absolute worst in me after one <laughs> session of <Durham. laughs> yeah. uh, Tony Yahoo. You, you, well, and. And the guy that came here with uh, oh his, that guy uh, uh, with the, his with his wife, girlfriend or wife yeah. he had a um, list yeah th th I mean oh, we, the th there's there's a whole <laughs> bunch of stories in there in and of themselves he had um, a list of what would make a successful band and he wouldn't show it to Zig I I, I guess I'll, I'll set up the story so uh, so this is yeah probably like the thirteenth or fourteenth person we've tried so um, a guy messages me uh, sends me some video of him playing which is not which is not bad he's playing guitar he's not really singing he tells me that he's a much better vocalist than he is. 
uh, a, a guitar what? player, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, okay. And he names a couple bands that I think like, okay, this is this is all right, you know, we'll we'll see. And we all were responsible for one or more people coming in. Yeah. Alex manned uh, uh, Craigslist for a while. Dave knew a couple people that that kind of came in. Um, and again, I don't want to malign everybody. Some some folks came in and they were absolutely awesome, and we sure. love them as people. It just wasn't a good musical fit. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole uh, different flavors of, of folks. Yeah, that we came even in. had one that that's came you if you're really wondering, Amber, and then ghosted. <laughs> yeah, us. yeah, yeah we, we had one guy that came in twice, and I still think that uh, we would have ended up different um, if that. I don't can't, can't remember his name. Um, uh, it wasn't Brandon. It wasn't was it? Brandon. No, it started with a B, but that guy just fell off the edge of the planet. Yeah. He came, came in. He and... had a very hardcore, yeah. growly edge to him. Yeah. And would have changed our sound to you know some extent, but it still would have been good. Uh, I mean, if he was here yeah. today, that would have really worked out well. We really wanted him to stick around, and we liked him, and the, mm-hmm. so he came for two rehearsals and then ghosted us after that. We have no idea what happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, we, you know, we, we we had a lot of folks uh, come and go, and. Um, uh, and then we had somebody that was here for a long time, uh, almost a, almost a year. Mm-hmm. But it became clear uh, she wanted to change us, and really it became clear had didn't really have a lot of desire to go in the direction that we all wanted to go. And, and yeah. you know, kind of what it's actually past in. that to me. I mean, honestly, it felt like not only did she not want, she had a different vision with what we were wanting to do. She had a very specific lack of respect and like for where we yes. wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when somebody, clear. when somebody says to you, I kid you not, we, we did our last show with her at Tommy's. We walk in here like a week later and she's trying, she, it, it's at this point that she decides she's going to try to push us in a different direction. And she goes, if you guys are wanting to do an album, none of your songs are good enough, especially the song that Dave sings on. And there's like 12 songs that we've been doing for again, almost a year at this yeah. point. Yeah. So we, there were some things, that, like indicators that were leading up to that. So yeah. eventually we were like, okay, look, this, this just is Well, the, the other side of that was was that I had tried to do it prior to that. And there were a couple of reasons why I decided I didn't want to. One was I wasn't having fun with it. The other one is Jackass kept isolating my vocals. We were, we were, <laughs> the thing of it is, is nobody sounds good isolated. I don't give a shit who you are. We, we, that, well, we've all done that. Right. Yeah. Tina Turner does not sound good isolated. Yeah. But these guys... Every fucking practice would isolate my vocals. I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. That, 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 did, that did not start The man to who mess with literally you. talks and can't get enough of hearing himself didn't want to hear himself. <laughs> so, so, so Dave and I have both fronted bands purely from a vocal standpoint at one point or another. And, I, and this is the other funny one. Alex, like we're like two years in, and Alex has always told us that his ex-wife told him that he just couldn't sing. Yeah, she actually told me my dog threw up because of me. <laughs> Be honest, she didn't like my vocals at the time, did she? So uh, yeah, I don't know that she commented on you. <clears throat> oh, so we're we're like two two and a half years in. We've spent all of this time. What we we spent about a year and a half looking for vocalists. I, I feel again, like just, it was longer than that. It was. It, we're we're yeah. getting to a spot where we're getting frustrated because we're not out playing shows. We've got twelve songs musically. We put them all together, but we don't we don't have vocals. Yeah, so we're so tight and just spinning our wheels yeah. here. So after this last vocalist that we really had high hopes for, we spent a lot of time with, and it was clear that wasn't going to work, we really said, look, this is too much time. We know we've done vocals before. We just need to grab our balls and do this. So we just kind of knuckled down and started to It would have been better time. if you grabbed your own, though. Right. Well, yours are softer, <laughs> and they feel better in my hand. A handful? Yeah. All right. So, um, so Small, yeah, less so, of a strain on the fingers. Very much so. So, so, so 
at the end of the day, uh, that's where we went. And I think we all kind of look back now and, and <clears throat> realize like, uh, you know, it's, it was far better that it worked out this way. And the other thing, and we talked about this for a long time, but the three of us really have a tight bond. Like when I mm -hmm. say I'm sitting next to my two best friends, I really am. Yeah. And so, um, to, to realize like we always talked about how this is going to be really challenging for a fourth person to come in here, like to be a musical yeah. fit and, and break to the connect circle. with us yeah. Yeah, is going to be really hard. So it just never worked. And with this just ended up being, you know, a really good thing for us. I'll, I'll say mm -hmm. that the time that really like for me felt like validation, which I usually don't look for in other people. I try to avoid that, but I, I couldn't avoid it at this point. It just made me feel good to hear it. Uh, one of the people that we had try out on vocals that honestly we liked the best. I think we had him come back three times was Owen from uh, yeah, Horror yeah. Heist. Okay. Had yeah, tried out for us from a couple times. We played a show with them at the Milestone and it was the first time that he had seen us since we had shit canned Rose and started doing our own things. And he came to me after that show and he was like, I don't know why you guys were ever looking for a vocalist. He was like, you guys just have a dynamic. There's no reason for you to do that. And I felt like that was probably the best validation for me coming from him to say, yeah, I could have done this, but you guys, what the hell do you need me for? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I took that to heart. I, I, I really appreciated him saying that, but mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of, we had, a, we had a lot of people that we really did like a lot that, and, and we almost went with like Owen was one of them, uh, Leighton Underwood. Uh, try yeah, it out. We yeah. really, we really liked Leighton. Yeah. We, we thought, you know, in terms of the this guy, we like him enough to where he could hang with us and just kind of break this circle. Uh, but it just wasn't quite the style we wanted, and yeah. that was the only reason that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe didn't we choose somebody else at the time? And then, and then that got spectacularly uh, torpedoed. I mean, the, the, it was all a fucking train wreck yeah, trying yeah. to find yeah. a singer. It <laughs> really we, was. We, we had a guy call Alex from New York uh, on the uh, on Craigslist, yeah. <laughs> and he said he's going to come down. And he he name dropped a whole bunch of stuff that was really impressive for yeah. us. Then he did come down. Oh, yeah, he, he came. Down. I, I he think tried he said out. He basically moved here almost for us. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, what? Uh, no. And yeah. then the funny, the, the really hey, funny can I stay part was, yeah, he, he came yeah. for the one. <laughs> yes. That, yes. That, that happened. Yeah. That happened. Like, he, he came and he he had put a whole bunch of lyrics together or stuff. He had clearly, he did his homework. He came, he had stuff. Except miraculously, none of it fit rhythmically it with anything that we did. It didn't quite fit. <laughs> but I get a call like, it was either three weeks or a month later. And he's like, like later, yeah. I, I need to get back to New York. Can you give me some money? <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he hit me up right after Alex like, told him no. He's like, it's your fault. Did, I'm here. Give me know. money for bus fare. He I'm like, I didn't ask you for shit. He tried to guilt you into or guilt us into yeah, it too, yeah, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He was like, I came down from New York for you. We were exactly. like, dude, you, we met you at the studio once and we've talked online for like maybe two and a half minutes. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. yeah. Again, uh, we, uh, we met a lot of lovely people, uh, a lot of people that we, we, you know, genuinely loved. It just wasn't a good musical fit. But yeah, there mm -hmm. were a couple of their folks. Tony Yahoo. Tony, Tony Yahoo wasn't so bad. It just he, he wasn't. He just uh, he, we we had this guy. He was um, you know. So I'm I'm 45. Uh, you know we're not young chickens. But this guy he had uh, 10 15 years on on all of us. We're all in yeah. the same age range. Um, uh, Alex is the young one. Uh, but he came in and he held onto a coffee mug the whole time that he played. And he like Which the whole minor. time he was the, there for like two mm -hmm. hours. And I think he sang for a grand total of like 45 seconds. And or he like he that. sounded like Dave Brocky, which maybe wouldn't be a bad thing under different different circumstance that was that was the vocal tonality i got from him was not like the roar of odorous but like the sort of almost homer simpson-y sounding yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of thing that dave brocky would do it's what he sounded like but the thing that got me is you know we were very specific we were looking for a vocalist 
not another guitar player. We're not looking for somebody <laughs> to replace me on bass. Yeah, don't come and here. And the guitar. Is, <laughs> I, I was worried that Zig might get a little bit touchy about somebody showing, and dude walks in the damn room with a guitar. And I'm like, fuck, this guy is going to try to like shoehorn himself in to try to play guitar player. and then maybe sing some. This was the rudest I've ever so seen. So was, this was in my head <laughs> that he's trying to shoehorn himself into something else. And the guy gave me a compliment, and I really should have taken it that way. And for some, my brain was totally oriented in a different direction. <laughs> He comes over to me while we're, after we played a couple of songs. He's, dude, you're really making me want to buy a bass and learn how to play. And I said, no, nope. you can't. Nope. And and the thing that was <laughs> is in my head, I was thinking, I want to play bass for you guys. But what he was actually saying, the way this translated to him was, I think I want to go on my own, buy that instrument, and learn how to play it. And I said, no, fuck you, you cannot. <laughs> yeah. And <it> just, <laughs> they were like, Dave, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I didn't want him to shoehorn, man. You know? <laughs> I remember our, our last day with Rose in our conversation. Uh, you know, we we really liked her, and it just it was clear that we were going in different directions. Yeah, and she did not see the future we saw. Uh, and Ziggy is probably the most patient person. I know we discussed for days how we were going to go into this conversation. Oh, it got, in, like, it got intricate. And, like, let her down nicely. And, you know, we, we really did respect her as a musician. She was yeah. a very good musician. She's actually a better, better musician than, uh, than any of us, really. Yeah. But <laughs> one thing that was kind of always on Ziggy's nerve was she would bring an instrument and just start playing. Yeah. And it's like, but you're here. Like, we need you to dedicate yourself to the vocals. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you're, she didn't come from a punk background, hardcore background. So she did have trouble keeping up with some of the pacing and fitting the lyrics in where they needed to fit. And and she came to that last day and she brought a guitar case we, with her. We, we knew. Yeah. So, so like, I, there was this kid that I grew up with and you couldn't even have a conversation with him because he'd just be playing a guitar all the time. And mm-hmm. he wasn't paying attention. He was just... And and I knew a lot of people that were like that. So and it just it would get on my nerves. Like, look, I, I'm that's fine. Play guitar. I'm a, I play guitar too. But like, if we're going to be having a conversation, let's focus on the like. If you ever watched yeah. Metalocalypse and Squisgar is yeah. always doodling on guitar, that was Rose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we were we were so ready to let her down easy and have it be a nice conversation. And she took the guitar and he was just like, "Get the fuck out!" Like, <laughs> 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 we were like, "Whoa!" Three days of planning out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was. It was funny to watch that s- switch get flipped. Although, no, the, the, he the, did that at first, and then we, she kind of <laughs> got taken aback, and she earth. was like, "This is about what I said to you the other day about your songs not being good enough for to be on an album, is it?" And I was like, "No, well, actually, yes." yes. <laughs> and and we were all kind of taken aback by the whole thing, and Zig's like. I'm really sorry about this, and I hate that we made you drive Alice way for like five minutes of getting fired. Can I give you a hug? No, fuck you, and just takes off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like unfriended us all on social media. Just uh, it was just bad. All, all things being equal, I, I still like it. No, no, uh, no ill will there at yeah. all. But the one place that I did have it, like everybody has their kryptonite someplace. Mm. And the kid that brought his wife, that was, that was kryptonite. <laughs> well, that, that was, was really fun. Good. His wife was Olga and she was hot and I actually hit on her in front of him because he pissed me <laughs> off so bad. I was <laughs> like, I'm just going to do this because you're an asshole. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell the one story that you alluded to earlier and then we can move on. Uh, mm. So, uh, so he, again, we're, we're kind of exchanging information back online. Again, he's coming down here to, to, uh, you know, audition for vocals. So he shows up and I only know him from Craigslist and I meet him out on the street and it's eight o'clock at night and two people get out of the truck and oh. I'm not expecting this. Yeah. And my first thing is like, am I about to get robbed? Did like, yeah, the, we're know, having what? them to your house. It's right. not like we're at Nota right. Studios. This is, this is, right. this is my yeah. home. 
he and his wife get out and he introduces her and I'm still I'm like what? like no clarification nothing ahead of time about like Hammond to bring my wife with me yeah. so I'm like you know okay this is weird so we come in the house and it, I've, I've got about 45 minutes to kill I think that night before you two showed up mm-hmm. so we're standing in my kitchen I offer him a drink and we're sitting there just trying to you know get to know each other and within like 45 seconds, he produces this sheet. Now, again, remember, uh, you know, I come from a punk rock background. And I want things to be raw and natural. And I play, you know, fucking power chords at 200 beats a minute. And, you know, there's nothing that I do that's extraordinary technical or anything else. I just want it to be raw. Yeah. And he produces a piece of paper that had his like 12 point checklist on what it took to write a good song. And he had prepared this along with a dossier that he had for how he was going to become a famous musician. I'd never seen anything like this before. And so he hands me the paper and I start reading through it. And it is literally a checklist of the things that I think make like the most, <laughs> like, like, my, like if you were to say to me, what is the worst band you want to be in or the worst criteria for a song? <laughs> like, here it is. And I just, you know, I'm looking at this. So I handed the paper back to him and I said, I said, this is awesome for and you. you I said, your cell phones. You should have, yeah. like, oh. you don't have a copy you of it. I, st- I, re- I regret it so much. I tell these guys afterwards, I'm like, I and can't. The, the irony is, is this guy gets in the room with us and grabs a microphone and this motherfucker could not carry a tune in a wheelbarrow. Uh, he was it like was tone awful. Down. So <laughs> we record pretty much everything that happens in this room. I, you know, we're everything's all mic'd up here, and all our rehearsals, we you know, we record everything. So I had the whole thing recorded. So first of all, his wife grabs this stool, and she's sitting in the corner. And I swear to God, I'm looking over at her while we're playing. And I swear, like, she's embarrassed for him. I don't know if she's never heard him sing before. Because the video that he sent me with him playing guitar, he wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it's, it's bad. So <clears throat> we go through, and, and he keeps trying stuff, and that's fine. And I'm always curious at the end of the day, because, look, I've auditioned for bands where I know I've sucked. And I know I can do better than that, and you're nervous or whatever. So I make that accommodation for, for people. Yeah. And so afterwards, what I'm always curious about is, like, okay, so so is your response, uh, that wasn't very good, maybe I could do better? Or is your response, yeah, I think that was pretty awesome. His response is, I think that went super well. I'm super excited about this. Uh, I thought tonight's performance, his performance was great. So I take the recording and I send it to him thinking maybe he'll listen to it and there will be a further reflection. Oh, he did more while he was here. I don't know if you noticed this part, but we had, uh, I don't think I had, no, I obviously didn't have vocals for Flenser because we were still looking for vocals at the time. But, you know, that, that bridge is a little weird for what we do. And he hears us play that, and he comes over to me, and he's like, that sounds really interesting. Teach me how to play that. I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not teaching you that riff. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Figure uh, it out. Anyway, we, we sent him the recording, and he came back, and he said, uh, "He said, I think this is awesome. I'm so excited to come back. And we kind of had to say, like, okay, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And then it was about six months later. It was like six or nine months, and I get a random email, and he says, I have a new band. Can I come over to your place and record the band? And I was like, mm, it's not really a you know commercial studio that we have here or anything. But it, it was the checklist. It was the yeah. checklist of, you know, song must not repeat, uh, you know, bars in a certain order and you know there has to be a certain it was just this like mathematical formula that he thought he could apply to stuff and i just thought <laughs> this is so against everything i think about music and why i like music yeah. 
Like, clearly, we're just not a match. It didn't yeah. get to a point where you had to take turns firing people. <laughs> yeah. It was like, all right, who gets to be hated next? Because even the ones that we try to be, like, uh, yeah. nice about, it was like, fuck you, unfriended on yeah, Facebook. It was like, if you brought like, them in, you had to you let them down. Let and go, listen, yeah. I, for anyone out times. there listening to this that thinks we are full of egos, we spent damn near three years trying to find somebody because we didn't think we could do it personally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and point. and it really did come down to us realizing we are meant to be a three piece. I didn't even know I could sing until I think I was in the car oh. with Ziggy and I was singing to a bad religion song. And he's like, and "What like, the fuck was that, dude?" <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I just I don't even sing around people because I just had it in my head I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah that's what I was told. Uh, Wrong. And, Wrong. You know, yep. it it turns out we we are able to fill that void ourselves yeah and it works out so much better because we know where we want the song to go and you guys do a pretty good job of harmonizing too so that's something we We don't do but i mean he he uh i didn't hear it until he did some on the album like these two got together and after i had done my vocal passes these two's come in and it's like there were some things that wasn't perfect, of course, because he's just started singing. But where he nailed it is like, who the fuck is that? It's like a towel. It's like, what? I thought you couldn't sing, <laughs> you know. And he and he and he absolutely can. I, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to see where that goes in the future. Like, what else can you do? Shout out to Brandon Hamby, uh, who, who yes. took the record and really oh, yeah. uh, put it together. So, so we recorded all the tracks here, but mixing is not in our forte. So uh, we reached out to Brandon and see if he would work with us. Um, love Brandon to death. Oh, yeah. After we sat and we listened, um, especially on... Uh, the title will come to me in a second. Uh, hearing some of the vocals was kind of a wow moment for me, um, some of those harmonies, because when we're in here in the room, we're not able to do all of that stuff quite the same way. And there's yeah. there's not much on the record that we couldn't do live. but there, that, the, Really, the vocals... there's nothing on the record we can't do live. In fact, that was a weird thing to me, is we would be doing stuff on the recordings, and then Alex would add something, or there'd be a harmony that's thrown in there, and we'd hear it, sounds good on the album, and then it made its way into the practice room. So really, there to me, there's nothing on that album that's a harmonizing situation that we can't do live. And really, not. And it was weird to me how it, the, the two start to inform each other. Yeah. Like we'd be playing, and even like, fuck, two weeks before uh, we were done, and we're like, okay, here you go. I, I actually went up to. Um, dead peasants and hung out with brandon but there were a couple of places where i wasn't happy with some harmonies that i did yeah and i was like i did that dickhead move i was like i'm gonna throw some harmonies on this shit if you guys don't like it you can veto it but i just had a couple ideas and we kept everything we kept everything and like yeah. literally it's still stuff that we can just do and has already translated into the practice room after hearing that it, for me that was kind of an eye-opener and, and as we start talking about a second record i think a big focus for me is going to be to create even more space for those kind of vocals because because after we heard a couple things after they came together on the record there was i mean it was again for me it was kind of a wow moment of like yeah not only does this sound great but i want, I want to do more of this yeah and i think 
it kind of sets you guys apart a little bit from all the other bands in the scene. I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> uh, we, I, I know that uh, when I heard that chorus on, um, on the run, and as we had been playing it live, it had always been a two-part yeah, harmony between me and Zig. And then Alex threw in a third part to it, and I heard it, and I was like, that's us. Holy shit. You know, that sounds really good. Uh, and it, it kind of kind of blew my mind. And now, of course, he's throwing in that third part while we're playing in here, and it's there. You know, like I said, the two inform each other. But uh, it was one of those things, you know, I this is something that I've been trying to do for a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I haven't been able to get it together because I haven't found the right people, basically. Mm-hmm. And it just never materialized. It's like, yeah, I'm 46. I finally fucking did it with my <laughs> and best buds. And, and I have a heart attack next week. But uh, no, I just for that, to, I guess uh, the way it came out, I was pretty pleased with it to the extent that, you know, hell, for your first shot, that sounds pretty fucking good. Uh, you know, I was I was pretty proud that we did a lot of the, well, they did a lot of the recordings, and I sat back like on my couch there and going, yes, that sounds good. And no, that doesn't sound good. But yeah. Uh, they're they're the brains behind all that, but uh. it does, and it sounds really good. And I think like the the vocal harmonies, that that kind of thing, that, that's what gives me the uh, like feeling of like the sword a little bit, or maybe mm-hmm. um, Red Fang a little bit at times. So like that metal side, but again, like Red Fang, I think is one of those bands that also has some punk rock sensibilities to them. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's that that kind of that kind of feel that I get from it a little bit. Which is funny, I have like one Red Fang album. <laughs> <laughs> And but, no sword albums. But I think you do enough. sometimes realize, you know, like, because Van Huskins at one point, we talked about maybe getting another guitar player. Eric's idea was always to, for it to be a three-piece, but we we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And also, I think we might, may have talked about doing a singer, but ultimately it was just like, yeah. we did we did one show with with another guitar player, and that was just a, one of those Halloween shows. We got Josh Featherstone to play with us on uh, Super Chuck, and we did Super Chuck. I, can, I can't and no, imagine no dis- disrespect to Josh, because he's a great guitarist, and he did a great job. But I honestly think we could have done it ourselves. Right. And ultimately, it's just like, why would we add another element to it that's going to throw yeah. it? Now, now I'm sad off. that I wasn't there because Super Trunk was another big influence for me growing up. Um, but I can't imagine you guys is, is a regular four-piece. I mean, again, the, the yeah. way it's the same thing. You guys just have a recipe that works so mm-hmm. well yeah. for what you're doing. Yeah, it would seem to do anything else would to be to taint that. I yeah. can't see anybody adding anything to it. And, and the only reason we did it was because we had, you know, it was like, Super Chunk has two guitars, and there were some play- things Eric couldn't do live and, and everything. So, but Josh came in and didn't really do a lot of that stuff. He kind of played rhythm, which Eric wanted him to play lead. And you know, no, no, against no offense, because we only practiced a couple of times. It was like you know we threw it together, um, but you know we should have just done it ourselves. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah. We, we still play a couple of those songs. We play them by ourselves. How how long has that Halloween show at the Milestone been going on for? It's, it was going on for. It wasn't going on back when I was in the scene the first time, but it started sometime probably around, I'd say maybe 2010 or so. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that, so uh, when uh, Displacer was playing, I, I became aware of that Halloween show, and I had really wanted to do that. And, and when we all came together, I remember telling these guys, even in the first couple of weeks we were all playing, that one of the things I aspired to was being able to get a billing on that Halloween show yeah. doing something. And you know, it took some time. But, and then we did it, and I yeah. had a cold. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that I, was, I, I must be—I can't remember why I couldn't make it to that one, but I was not at that one. Yeah, it was fun. It I was mean, a lot of fun. I'd like to do it again when when I don't have a cold, and when more people can see it. I think because uh, I feel just the feedback we got was that people really liked it. Yeah. Um, 
and it was fun. I would I, I wouldn't mind doing it. It was like Misfits minus a piece because you know they're you know four piece with Glenn singing by himself. Made for some great jokes like uh, you know Glenn and Jerry's ice cream because I was being uh, Glenn Danzig and Jerry only wrapped up in one person playing yeah. bass and singing. Uh, talking about you know suing myself three times in the prior week to get <laughs> into the role of being both of them. Yeah, made for some great comedy, which we try to do a little bit of. And again, it's it's hit or miss. But you know, it's like one part stand-up comic to three parts music yeah, for like yeah. the whole thing. I guess um, yeah, that was like one of your bucket list items too. You yeah, wanted to that play was that show. Exactly, and- yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was we fun, but we got put on at one in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun for us. We we did it four years, and we're already talking about doing it again, whether it's this year or next year. Mm-hmm. We're already talking about who we want. I think we might do CCR this time. Oh, that'd be nice. But, you know, we started off, we did the Pixies. That was a lot of fun. Then we did Danzig the next year, then Super Chunk. And then last year we did it, we did Screeching Weasel. Oh. Which, you know, we all love Screeching Weasel. Did you guys but play that, the weekend before mm. we did? Was that why I missed that? Um, no, we played. It was, this, was, this was a couple of years ago. This was okay. not, not, not the year you guys oh, played. I would have loved we to see you guys do year. Screeching Weasel. That, um, but it was, it was the, that was the one that made us not want to do it again, just because hmm. as much as we love those songs, they really weren't that much fun to play and sing. They were really hard to play and sing. Well, that was, that was the one time these guys have told me no, as I wanted to do uh, Melvin's next time we did it, yeah. and they told me no. Well, I've, I've, I've brought, uh, I wanted to play Honey Bucket, and I got a resounding no from both of them. They're like, we can't do that. I'm like, yes, we can. Well, maybe. <laughs> I think I think most of that, to be fair, is like I'm the only one that's really familiar with it out of the three of us. And granted, we'd be learning like four songs instead of the 10 songs that we had to learn to fill out a set for the Misfits. It'd be a lot. We'd have to start working on it way early. And yeah, yeah. this is yet again, like a a testament to Alex's capability, but also his work ethic. So I grew up, uh, you know, in those early days when I was discovering punk and I couldn't find material and I'd end up with like three or four cassettes and you just listen to them over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, Misfits Collection was one of them. And I remember like that shit's just drilled into my head. Like it just, there's, you know, a million years could go by and I'll still remember all of it. And I think same thing for Dave. Yeah. I so, got into it later and it did, it did get definitely just so permanently burnt in there. When yeah. we were prepping for that show, I mean, a- Alex had, you know, obviously played in, in uh, you know, hardcore scene and, and has done a ton of stuff, but Misfits wasn't something in particular wow. that he was intimately familiar with. So Dave and I just kind of picked stuff up and it was fairly easy for us. But Alex, what amazed me was the amount of time that Alex was able to, because the way that the drums are played in the Misfits stuff is really important to the feel for those oh, yeah. songs. Yeah. And you know we we made them our own a little bit, but at the same time, he was pretty... a really bad fucking drummer. <laughs> yeah. uh, just just like some of this stuff, like not I'm me by to, the way. Yeah, no, not no, Alex. No, no. The, the, it, it, it's like yeah. I listen to Jerry. I have this real love hate relationship with the Misfits anyway, because like you know they they had some they, they could write a catchy tune. They really could, but mm-hmm. in terms of like being able to record something that sounded good or you know actual execution <laughs> of that, like what song was that? Was that uh, it was. Uh, Hybrid moments. We're listening to it, and I'm listening to the actual rhythm of the bass line. And I'm like, was Jerry only fucking drunk? What the hell is going on here? That's not I, even contiguous. I never, I never yeah. noticed, but as we started to listen to the structure, you started to, like, I started to listen to that stuff and say, they fucked up in the studio and they got, like, the number of measures wrong because yeah. there's all kinds of weird random shit in there yeah. that doesn't really line up. But yeah. we figured all that out and alex not only lined all that stuff up but he emulated the drum parts which were so central to that and when we got up on stage and played it live it came off i thought so well but again i mean alex put in a, a lot of work to be able to do that you know glenn would say about those extra measures that he meant to do that i'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. Well, it was very weird because hey, you know my punk background was 
face to face and Pennywise and Bad Religion and you know you got Agnostic Front and stuff in there for the the hardcore punk side, and and the Misfits really weren't on my radar. And when they brought it up, I was like, oh, I like yeah, I'm familiar with like Dick Upper Bones, and they were like, blah. He starts in with with Michael Graves there, and I was like, fuck no. But that's really all I knew of it. And then they're like, well, here's the you know ten or eleven songs you want to play, and I start listening. I'm like. Was it just the singer and drummer playing and there was no instruments? Because the drums follow the vocals and make no sense. Yeah. If you actually try and play that stuff and be true to it, it's a mess. Yeah, it was absolutely a mess. It's a total mess. We kind of joked that it was going to be di- – and again, I don't say this with an ego about us being great musicians, but we kind of joked that those recordings are so bad – that it was difficult for us to make them sound to emulate them properly. Yes, <laughs> it's like people trying to emulate Kurt Cobain on guitar. Get back to the Nirvana thing. It's like he had his own way of sucking. <laughs> that if you're trying to emulate it, there aren't really a whole lot of people I've encountered that can do it right, to yeah. sound exactly like he did because of how mm. sloppy he was. The way he did it. It's like if you're trying to emulate somebody that's that bad. It's it's not easy and and again I, I did make the mention I was like this is probably going to sound better as bad as it is than any of their live shows ever did so it was like not Madison Square Garden I was like okay you got me now <laughs> right with mm. with like a million dollars backing them up there's no way we're sounding as good but yeah back then you know then again he was writing and recording some of that stuff on an electric piano before they had guitars coming in and that yeah. was interesting that was a lot of fun it was fun i yeah it was was a lot of fun uh dressing up like douchebags was fun (laughs) i still have those pants i threatened to wear them to his wedding they were like i I don't know if this is a uh if this is a thing or not or if if i misinterpreted this but uh because because the show that we played didn't have the same sort of uh uh, uh, twist that i thought it was going to have so um the first one of those halloween shows that i had gone to was the seduction doing um uh, metallica oh yeah yeah uh, and i still seduction one of my favorite bands uh ever and and just fantastic to see live again that whole like putting on a show thing yeah. and you go home and you're like you should have seen what i oh, saw yeah, last they, night they were great but they did it and you know they were all wearing wigs and they and they kind of there was there was a little bit of a mockery in the midst yeah. of, of playing you know homage to all that stuff so when we did it you know the idea was to um we were going to do uh either the mist shits or the uh mass fats or the fit ins something fit, like that so the fit ins mm-hmm. is what Which we is a lot like doing. the fill ins but right. still so we all tried to like do uh you know, geeky, preppy, but then do the makeup. We had somebody come over to the house and help us do the, the you know, misfit skull makeup and all the rest of that. And so. I will never do a devil lock again as long as I live. <laughs> that was a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I went over, I had like the, the cornflower blue sweatered vest with like the brown and salmon herringbone polo shirt. It was all was about a, the pants, dude. Those, those pants, pants were all pants. White, uh, burgundy, and green like patterned golf pants they're oh, comfy yeah. man <laughs> but they are they're super comfy i threatened to wear them to his wedding I, just, and i probably should have in hindsight but yeah i still got them uh they might come out again at some point i might just wear start wearing them to our shows and fuck it i'll Do wear it. my my hideous yeah. golf pants something went wrong we're not quite the misfits we want to fit in this by the way, thank you for all for sticking around so late. Uh, this has been a fantastic night. Thank you, Mustang, for putting on another incredible Halloween show. Uh, you all might know a few words. Feel free to sing along. There's ample area on the dance floor for you to uh, do your thing. Yes, we'll go!
that was another one of those things when I when I came here and I went to the milestone. It was kind of like uh, slipping into an old pair of blue jeans or something from places that I grew up in Los Angeles. Like, you know, I'd been to a couple other clubs here uh, at the time. Uh, oh, there's so many places that have closed down. Um, uh, Tremont, Tremont, I think, was yeah. one of the places that I had uh, had gone a few times. But I walked in the milestone. It was just like I felt right at home instantly and just absolutely loved that place. Um, and, you know, wanted to do everything I could to, to try and help make sure that place sticks around for another 45 years. Um, but, you know, I, I, one of the things I say here, so like this place, I used to play uh, Zoe's Coffee up in Gastonia, yeah. which is, you know, which was great. But it's hard to get your inner badass on, like standing on a one foot stage in a coffee shop that's yeah. well left with like, you know, uh, books over in the corner. <laughs> um, let's go back to this line that Jared came up with, which is. He was gonna. He was gonna get on stage and encourage people to throw books. <laughs> Just like the chaos of it in a coffee shop. Um. But yeah, you know, I, playing the milestone is just, uh, I, I love walking into that place. You can, you can feel the history there, but it's also really easy to just get in the headspace to, you know, to put on a show when yeah. you get there. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I'm alone. I think you guys are probably in the same place. It's been almost a year since we've played live. Yeah. Like, in front of people, and I, I miss it. I uh, like, I really want to get back out. We're all dying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really want to get back out in front of people and play. I do too, but I'm not. Still not there yet. No, like, I get not. it. Yeah, I, I say that all the time. Like, oh man, I'd love to play a show. Well, you know, I could play Freeman's this weekend if I wanted mm-hmm. to. Yeah, sure. I mean, we well, got well. I mean, I could set up a show at Freeman's on the weekend. Not this. I couldn't call him up. Be hey, I want to play this weekend, but um, they're just not ready yet. We yeah. got invited oh. to play a couple, and one of them I almost said yes to because I assumed it was outside. Uh, and because it was in Raleigh in very short notice, we said no. But then I saw the pictures of the show the next day. It was, in front of us. it was indoors. And I'm like, fuck, I'm glad we didn't say yes. Yeah. Because I think that was uh, July, something like that. I mean, yeah, it's I'm I'm dying for it. I feel like I'm not interesting as such as it is unless I'm on a mic with a bass in my hand. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm so proud of the record and happy that we finished it. But by the same token, it's almost anticlimactic that we can't go have like a record release party or go out and do a couple of shows to promote it and, and share it with folks. And so, you know, I feel like it makes it harder to, to get it out there and make people. Yeah. I know a lot of people were like, there's, there's a few bands I've talked to that said that they don't want to release anything right now just because yeah. who's going to pay attention to it. You know, you don't, you can't play a show to celebrate it and, but we went ahead and released ours. And yeah. I'm really glad that a lot of bands have because, you know, it's given – I think it's given a little bit of a chance for people to pay attention to it more. I, you know, ways. I've been that. surprised with the response we've gotten to it. Yeah. I have. Like looking at, you know, I don't know if you guys do this. You know, you kind of obsessively go over to Spotify and say, what are my monthly listening now? Yeah. And uh, it actually turned out to be more than I thought it would. Uh, it's all because of the record cover, though. It could be the record cover. <laughs> yeah, we, we we were going to talk about that. The record cover. Uh, I wanted to go along with something that you know with Oopsie and something went wrong. And like my first idea was like, let's just get like a board and a nail and and Alex trying to drive the nail in with a dildo. <laughs> and these two were like, we want to show this album cover to our kids. Right. I was like, all right. And then we came up with the idea of us like sitting on a couch. In like white boxers and white tank tees with cups of Kool Aid, like Jim Jones style, uh, and I can't remember why we maybe people wouldn't get that because well, they weren't old yeah, enough to. That, that was the whole um, hail Bob deal. Well, yeah, that, so I, I have to set yeah. up part of the. And, and this is a good segue from the like really wanting to play shows and get out there. So, so Dave has been really eager to get this record. I mean, we all wanted this record done, but uh, mm-hmm. I think Dave has it just a, a you know is is 
is the most driven to kind of get this record out. So <clears throat> Brandon hit sent over the last mixes. We knew we were good. Um, and then we just needed the album artwork so we could get it submitted and start getting it out. So um, I'm, I've, this last couple of years, uh, I've been doing some uh, studio photography and mm. been uh, kind of developing a, a passion and interest in that. And so eventually we landed on this idea of the pouring the bleach in the eye. So we start talking about how we're going to photograph this. Um, and I'm trying to think about how I need to set up strobe lights and everything to kind of get the, you know, this water hitting Dave in the face. But we're talking about uh, getting the bleach bottle. We're going to buy a bottle of bleach, empty it, because we don't really want to actually pour bleach into somebody's eye. Obviously not. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and the, you know, and I start thinking to myself, well, we can't do like Clorox or whatever. We'll get sued. We can't use somebody else's product on the page. So Dave buys a bottle of generic bleach and we let it dry out. And we had a night planned to, to come uh, photograph here and we're going to do it in the, the garage. We, we're going to let the bottle dry out. And at the last moment, I'm thinking to myself, like, there's still got to be bleach. Right <laughs> no, here. we actually had a different idea that was going to be a lot more complex. We were going to uh, get some plastic tubing like some surgical tubing or something like that that was capped off on the end. Yeah. So the, the only water in there was actually in the plastic tubing and never touch the inside of the bottle. Mm -hmm. But Zig was, you know, he, he's, he's, he's very conscientious about potential <laughs> dangers. And he was like, look, I don't want you to go blind. I was like, yeah, I don't want me to go blind either. I'm, I'm a big researcher, so I'm, I'm going and I'm, I'm looking at these oh, Google God, articles yes. that are basically saying that even, like, even if we pour bleach in a bottle that's dried out, that even the smallest amount of bleach brings with it the potential of permanent blindness, yes, right? Yeah. So I read, like, two or three articles. So I say to Dave, I'm like, you know what? <clears throat> Let's not do this tonight. I'm going to order just a, like a clean food grade bottle on uh, Amazon so that we can, you know, take the shot properly. And Dave's like, well, that's going to mean we have to wait another couple of days. And I'm like, Dave. It was a week, Permanent man. blindness. <laughs> like what part of permanent do blindness it. do you, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was ready to do it. Yeah. So. Um, permanent maiming for <clears throat> your art. Go. I yeah. remember. Uh, so then I said to Dave, I said, so I didn't know how many takes it was going to take to get that shot. And the reality is, and I, and I kind of prepped Dave, I'm like, so tonight you're not a musician, tonight you're a model, and you basically need to be prepared to pour water into your own face. And I've never taken a photograph like this before, and I have no idea. You know, So I'm like, we could be here for a while. We've got a kiddie pool blown up in the garage, Dave standing there in you know, a pair of, uh, what, swim trunks no, and a t-shirt. No, I just had jeans and a t-shirt on. I wasn't worried about it. But then <clears throat> we got it right on the first one, and I was like, that's good. Let's not do it. And we're like, no, no, we need to take more no, takes. Like, no, you're going to get wet, Dave. And we're by not the, wasting all this time. And, and by the third one, I'm like, fuck you. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I have a couple of these shots of Dave just wholesale, just a giant jug of water being poured in his face. They're awesome. Yeah. So that was, uh, it was fun. But I, I, I we got fun so lucky that, that that first shot was really just perfect and worked out that way. It's kind of like going to the studio when you nail it that first time, but then you're like, well, let's go to again to see if we can see do it if better. You can, yeah, you're yeah. not going to do it better. Yeah. No. Yeah. But that, that was, it was serendipity to get that shot, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the record, but I'm proud of the, you know, the, the photo side of the album cover and just how good that came out. Should have been somebody else's I face. I was getting ready to say, did you volunteer to do that? Because I tried to get Alex to do it, and, he, and it was something up on the lines of, well, Alex is too short, and, it, and the camera won't line up or something. I'm like, bullshit. Every other excuse of Alex is too short fits, except for that one, because it you just doesn't that look shit. as good with me in the picture. That's what it well, is. Well, you bullshit. know, this, this kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning about, you know, Dave really kind of being the, the face for the band. I think in, in, in more ways than one um you know How when fuck we that happened, yeah, <laughs> when, when we when we started and you know there are some songs that i've written there's some songs that dave's written there's some songs that we've worked collaboratively on um and I, there's a great mix of stuff in there but as we were going through and working through um vocals i mean there's some stuff that 
I hear a vocal rhythm in my head that's different than what I'm playing, and that I have a really, really hard time with. So as we, you know, as we worked through after we had decided to become a three-piece and just do our own, own vocals, um, I think it just naturally worked out that Dave had more ideas for stuff, and, and for Dave, he was able to make stuff flow, and so he ended up taking, you know, the, the lion's share of, of the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, when it comes to the to the stage show, obviously, you know, we've, there's a banter, you know, back and forth, too, and we kind of share those duties, but then Dave is the one that's out. Um, you know, he's out at the clubs more than we are talking to people and, you know, and interacting (laughs) with folks and, you know, helping to set up shows and really kind of, you know, driving that Dave's on Facebook, uh, you know, posting, um, you know, when when there's stuff going on. (laughs) And so, so from that standpoint, Dave has really taken on a lot of that duty of, you know, of, of being the person that people talk to and being the, the thing that people see and being the voice that people hear. And, uh, yeah, and that's probably why we're not so well known. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself credit. Mm-hmm. I know so, with, uh, when we did jerk store, I put Ben on the cover of it, like just in a little poster on the wall of the store. And Ben's like, why'd you put me on the cover? Because you, I have a picture of you giving a middle finger to an alligator. <laughs> he's, he's like, yeah, but still, are, are people going to think that I, I've got an ego and that I want to be on the cover? I'm like, dude, no. no. It's like, mm-hmm. I just chose you to put that because that picture worked. <laughs> That's, that, that was kind of the point of that one. It's like, how much ego can you have when it looks like you're dropping bleach into your eye <laughs> and grimacing about it and like not looking your best anyway? It's like not really exactly an ego surge there. So I just, uh, I do kind of want to start making them be guinea pigs more, I guess, going forward with stuff like that. Uh, it felt, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I felt kind of like the little dude in basketball. Like if you've seen basketball yeah. with Trey, when he's like sitting there in the, the fruit costume or whatever, yeah. and <laughs> looks like a complete goober. And yeah, he's, he's sort of doing it for their benefit. Yeah, we talked about just band photos in general, how, there'll be the picture and there's the two of them and you see the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not even for, in the photo. For those of you that don't know, Dave and I are both over six feet and Alex is... Five, four on a good day. Yeah. Yeah. which uh some people have fun with photoshopping <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it gets interesting brian yeah that's what i was thinking <laughs> it had to be brian all yeah, yeah yeah brian is is usually your culprit with that it's funny because i was his victim for the longest fucking time and then he got a hold of a couple pictures of alex and it was over he hadn't yep. immediately had to the elves immediately I, and i'm damning myself here because he'll listen to this and be like oh gotta fuck with dave some more now and it's, <laughs> it's gonna happen i'll be his victim once more well, i'm getting ready to say he doesn't fuck with me but i'm expecting that anytime now so it's probably coming <laughs> he it, it might i think i think with him it's it's one of those things where uh he comes across as a little bit more outgoing and cavalier than he actually is. Uh, and if he hasn't done that to you, he's probably worried about how you'll receive it. Would be my, like, is he going to, I trust me? me, Brian, Brian's got no worries about me. Yeah. <laughs> me, and, me and me and Brian are pretty good. Yeah. So. But he, that, that's usually why he won't do that. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be part of a, a scene and a, a group of bands that are really just very welcoming. Yeah. And, I love that uh, about our scene. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just a very refreshing to have everyone be so supportive of everyone else and so willing to put someone on a show and, you know, move things around to accommodate, you know, everyone else. And yeah, it's just very nice.
I think you're working on what three or four right now. I know yeah, we've got like one that. that's finished, and I, I meant to mention this anyway. A few people know it's one that I was working on the riffage, and oh, yeah. I had recorded it. And the first person, the only, the first person to hear it, and the only person to hear it up until uh, the point where he died was Brett Butler. Mm-hmm. And I, I after after he died, which. Fuck me up. I mean, I, I I don't want to make too big a thing about this, but uh, yeah, he and I had bonded pretty tightly. Yeah, and uh, I actually ran it by uh, the members of Flight Risk. So I was like, you know, I'd been working on a song, and he was really the only one who had heard it. Uh, I kind of want to dedicate this partially to him, but also to my parents, because I mean, I you know, my parents have both died. My dad before I got together with these guys, my mom during. And I haven't been able to really bring me to write that song. Yeah. And and Brett kind of pushed me into that when he got murdered. And, you know, I asked them for their blessing. They said, yeah, so we do have one uh, that is about that. It doesn't mention it by name, but so, that, yeah, that – I would I would be lying if I said COVID didn't influence that to some degree because, I mean, it's, it's really about, you know, the, the first verse – the initial impact of loss, the second verse kind of accepting it, and the third verse moving on, which I had to bullshit because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's that one. Uh, I've got, and it usually is me writing the lyrics, um, I find myself, and people can call it privilege, I, and that's fine. It doesn't bother me to, for them to do that. But I find myself uh, personally re- removed from a lot of shit yeah. when it comes to uh, – the really clashy parts of politics, like, you know, people get mad about it and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really behind any of these people. So I can kind of sit back and look at it. And when we write about something politically, it's never about one group. Yeah. It's never about one person. Uh, it's never about something that's going to date it. In fact, you know, when somebody asks me, you know, who are your lyrics about? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I'm guilty mm-hmm. of some of the things that I write about. When so, we, when we, got together one of the things that i said to these guys was um i wanted to try to avoid politics because that's going to polarize people no matter what and yeah. we're in a we're in a small scene and if you're trying i mean my goal was to try and build a following again i, I said earlier that tiff was kind of a um a, a role model for me from to a certain degree in terms of uh, that putting on a show and a seduction was another one of those things and uh you know just again seeing that that energy that came off the stage if we, especially in today's day and age with the size of our audiences here in a place like Charlotte, if we start to get into politics, again, we're just going to alienate somebody. Mm-hmm. And the reality is is that um, I, I believe that one of the problems in this world is that we don't come together enough to talk about things. People believe different things for different reasons, different life experiences, different whatever. Yeah. And it's not for me to judge somebody else for what they believe. We can disagree on how to solve certain problems, but that doesn't necessarily make me right and them wrong or vice versa. So I think a lot of the lyrical content, and Dave is largely responsible for this, is is an exploration of the way that third parties influence the way that we think or the way that the media sort of portrays things like, and how that keeps people from coming together and how there's a, you know, there's, there's always a, a, a direction that somebody else wants to, wants us to think or, or wants to drive us. Um, and there, there's a lot of those kinds of like, themes, I think for us, like he says, we don't want our lyrics to divide people. I'm like, okay, so I'll write lyrics about that division. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Right. Like yeah. literally like the, the, the lyrics of musings, uh, I think it's a little weird how it came out, but it was it was almost like something that mixed. It was it was almost like modern day partisan tribalism compared to what antebellum white gentry said to poor blacks and poor whites to keep them separated, and sort of comparing and contrasting the two, like those three little kind of haunting and sad 
harmonize pieces in there. You know, uh, at least you're not them. They're nothing like you. Those are, those are the things that those people said to poor whites and recently freed slaves to keep them apart. And it's sort of a comparison to how we're done today. I mean, we have these conversations a lot about how like we all just talk past each other. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's become a spot where we can't, you know, we're that, that division just seems to just seems to grow. And, and that's not going to help anything. That just puts us in a, all in a worse position. And I think a lot of the lyrical content that I'm sort of moving towards, I've got some concepts in my head. I'm looking, more to write things about how selective people are. I mean, I, I've already got songs about uh, cognitive dissonance and, and bias confirmation with media and things like that. Those things are pretty rampant in our society. But and, and again, I'm not calling anybody out in particular. Yeah, I don't yeah. do that. Again, we're all guilty of it. I've been guilty mm-hmm. of it yeah. before. You know, there is not a single person on this planet that hasn't been looking for an answer for something. They go on a Google search. And they stop when they find the answer that they yeah, agree with. Like, Everybody yeah. fucking does it. But now mm-hmm. it's almost like I want to start addressing that selective hearing and selective blindness. Like, look at these these people that, oh, COVID's a hoax. Uh, yeah, I know this person that died over there. I actually, and I don't get in these arguments on Facebook like I used to because it's just fruitless, but I, I still see them. And one of the things I saw recently that just absolutely blew my fucking mind, like, the fact that somebody would have the audacity to do this. Uh, somebody was talking about COVID on their page and somebody follows up with, it's all a hoax. Mm. Guy says, no, my aunt died from it in the hospital and we couldn't go see her because of it. And this person responded with, well, I'm sorry, but you're wrong about how your aunt died. You've been deceived. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, really? So, you know, it, and there's all this data out there that you can look at and it's, you know, it doesn't have to be politicized. It's right there. You can see that it's not necessarily, well, I'm not going to say necessarily. It's not a fucking hoax. We yeah. know it's not. Uh, and for somebody to not only go into saying it's a hoax, but to tell somebody mm-hmm. that you are wrong about how your loved one died, you have been lied to, I, I, is astounding is to wrong, me. But we're, like we're in like Holocaust denial territory, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so, so those kind of blinders are probably areas I'm going to go into or like the fact that, you know, a lot of our politics seems to be about people hating other people and being made to feel good about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that. And, you know, I've got, I've got a song in my head for that, you know, so there, there'll be, I don't want to say it's more of the same. It's going to be along a similar vein as a lot of the stuff I've written before, but uh, there's definitely going to be some COVID slash isolation impact to it. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Damn. I, I was listening to your lyrics on the way over here, and I knew that they were kind of deep, but I you know, wouldn't try to read any meanings into it. And I'm thinking, man, Van, Van Huskins, we just write songs about girls or cars. <laughs> and, there's, or, and there's not <laughs> a fucking thing wrong with that. We, well, and look, we've got some of that, too. I, I, there's, uh, I fell in love with an alien. Is about uh, my fiance, who is uh, you know, an alien to the, the United States. Yeah. She's from India. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we, you know, it's not exclusively that we live in this kind of uh, in that spectrum. Right. But, but I would say that's a big theme. And, and it's a lot of what mm-hmm. we talk about personally. You know, the time that we're not spending playing, we're often talking about these kind of, yeah. um, you know, issues that we see in the world. And, and again, for me, the central theme for all of us is I think we would all like to see people come together. Um, you know, that that division doesn't benefit anybody but the people who are in power. And it doesn't benefit any of the rest of us. us. Um, and again, <laughs> like they're like everybody has different perspectives for a reason. And obviously, you have crackpots in the extremes of any group, or you can find idiots or assholes in any group. Um, but that, un- unfortunately, I think so often what happens is, is that we malign an entire group of people because of 
the extremists. And this isn't unique to us or this time in history. This is what human beings have done for yeah. thousands of years. Um, but it's it's unfortunate. It, it seems that we have so much human potential that isn't uh, isn't utilized or is wasted because of these kind of, you know, we're more interested in just screaming at each other and talking past each other and pointing fingers. Yeah. Well, like, uh, you know, the, the kind of breakdown section of Out of Focus, I don't think it intended for it to be that way when we, we first wrote it, but when we added the two separate news mediums yeah. speaking at the same time, mm. one in your left ear, one in your right ear, if you're listening in headphones, you can't make anything out, but it's really, it's just kind of how things are right now. You just hear all this noise and neither thing coming into your left or right ear is necessarily true. It's what yeah. they want you to hear. And the reality is it's just, it's so out of focus. Kind of how I wanted to wrap up was, so you've got this new album yeah. called Oopsie. Yep. You guys recorded everything here. Yep. And then sent it off to Brandon. We've already kind of talked about that. Yep. Brandon had me mixed it. But you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much everywhere you stream music. Probably. Yeah. I don't think it's on SoundCloud. Is it on SoundCloud? Probably not. Uh, I'm, that or Bandcamp. Yeah, I don't, Bandcamp, I don't think it's on. I think it, oh, is it? No, it's I had to take a look. It, it you'd just, have to you'd have to actually put it on Bandcamp. It doesn't like get distributed there yeah. through whatever. I think we just but, did uh, the major stuff. That's, you know? I mean, I would suggest doing that, setting it up for whatever. You'll you'll get a, a few people that want to buy it, okay. and it won't equate to much, but it's something. Mm. And I always just I always suggest people just go if you want to buy it, buy it on Bandcamp. But speaking of buying it, is there, are there any plans for a physical release, or is this just going to be? Uh, I know a lot of people feel differently about physical releases these days. So I, I go back to, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this. I, I can't, uh, it, it's very f uh, far and few between. Like we've seen a couple touring bands come through town uh, that have physical mm -hmm. CDs. But like I have to, you know, put it through the lens of my usage. So I, I've gone and I've bought CDs from a bunch of bands. And I really do it to support them because I know what they're going through. We go, yeah. you know, go through the same thing. Um, but then if I'm honest, the CD generally, and I, I'll listen to it, but it gets stuck in my CD player or, you know, the, the, the jewel case ends up, you know, in my door card of my car or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, 98%, 99% of all of my listening is really on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, we've seen plenty of other bands. Uh, Anti Queens is the one that comes to mind that, um, come into town. And then, you know, it's just a, a, a little, uh, four color uh, poster card that they give you and then you pay like a couple dollars and you download the, the yeah. songs off someplace else mm -hmm. it seems to me like that's where uh the the majority is i think if we are out playing shows and there's enough requests that mm -hmm. uh you know that, that we'll go through and justify that but in my mind uh i the way that i consume stuff and i think the way i see other people consume stuff i think you know having other kind of merchandise t-shirts and stickers and that stuff tends to get more um uh, people be more willing to spend money there because, again, I think things like Spotify or Pandora or whatever just make the rest of the accessibility so easy. It and does. We've put more money into playing than we'll ever get back out of it. I have no intention of trying to make money doing any of this. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, we would like the T-shirts. Yeah. We try and recoup the cost because that's a couple bucks for those. Mm -hmm. But, like, the stickers we'll end up giving away. And, you know, I'm more interested in trying to share the love and, and get people exposed to it than I am trying to make any money off of what we yeah. do. So. Um, for me, it'll yeah. be, you know, the, the, a physical album will be based on, uh, kind of requests that we get. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know there's still people that, like, I, I still buy CDs. I still buy records. Of course, records are, if you can do records, that's the way to go. Yeah. But yeah, I, I know that I, I, I like to ask that question because some people don't. I mean, because there aren't that many people that buy them. And like you said, a lot of people that buy them are going to buy it just to support. And then the CD is going to go in the backseat of the car that's, that's or in a drawer or whatever. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but I, now I actually I'll buy them and I'll listen to them, but um, 
and I'll listen to it once or twice on CD, and then I'll probably listen to it on Spotify. The rest I, of the time. I, I, I'm exactly. always, I'll yeah. stream the but shit. But I'm, 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 I'm a collector to begin with, so I want a collection of yeah. uh, physical of the history of the scene is already forgotten about mm -hmm. or that people that are playing here these days they're, like i said there's a lot of people i look around and i see you know johnny dick he was around back then mike, oh yeah mike benson didn't live here but he was he was up here for part of that time with one three four and you know so I, was, I see a lot of the same people but then i also see a lot of people that didn't live here back then mm -hmm. and they don't really know what happened back in the mid 90s and the milestone or even before that but you know back when i was active and I was like, I don't want any of this stuff to get forgotten about. You know, not my band, not the other bands. Um, so part of it was like, I just want to document the history and tell the stories. 
And then that way it's out there for, for future generations, for anybody that cares about it. Yeah, well, I mean, you definitely know. Like, I know one that, that just, like, smacked me in the in the mouth. I was listening to the, the Negulators episode that you did. Yeah. And uh, I knew, like, that those guys are pretty storied in this scene, but I just I didn't know quite the extent of well, it. Well, that, that's the same. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I, I, I knew those it, guys yeah. from, from Kudzu Ganja. We played right. Kudzu, Kudzu Ganja way back in the day, but and I'd heard that they had, toured with no effects and blah 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 but mm-hmm. i didn't know the whole story and so from that to me my very first episode i was like this is fucking <laughs> awesome i get all kinds of great history in this that was a, the funny thing is i was mad at kudzu ganja for a couple of years for no fucking reason uh, and it was because that band entropy that i was in, in high school was supposed to play a show at the milestone it was like an all-day show and it was like wicked ways seducer uh, a bunch of those other guys from back then i'm trying to think of who else was was in that scene back then uh but we were, and it was Shannon that was supposed to be handling the booking. And we, he told us, Hey, we've got this slot. And we were like 15, 16. We were so fucking thrilled to be playing the milestone. And, and, uh, suddenly find out we're not on that bill. Well, who got the last slot? It was Kudzu Ganja. Well, fuck those guys, you know? <laughs> we're all mad about it. And like, I, I went in while they were playing, just like he was saying, stood there with my arms crossed, like, fuck you guys, glaring at them. <clears throat> you know, like they gave a shit about it, some 16 year old kid doing that. But then later it turned, I, I talked to Penny about it and she was like, your boy dropped the ball. I asked him to confirm he never got back to me, so I gave him the slots. It was not their fault at all. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> Much love, Shannon, but that was your fault. Uh, Twice. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I went and saw them later uh, in Noda, and I was I was like, damn, these guys are really good. And and then to hang out with them later as the Negulators, like I saw them play at Freeman's Pub, and I was just like, holy fuck, these guys are great. And then we all got drunk and played foosball at Tommy's and bonded and shit, yeah. and now we've played shows together and yeah. when, know, when, good friends. And, Jared started to I started to go out to see shows with Jared and he brought me the milestone the first time I was you know had that moment of like I can't wait until I get to play here so when you and I met and we started playing I thought to myself because you told me you hadn't played the milestone until we not until we right? did nope never got so, the chance like I brought Dave you know we're going to the milestone I know you've been there a million times but like oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm thinking like well Dave's played here a million times already nope. and then you know yeah so I thought how awesome that we Amos's, all got to do that Chop together. Shop uh, you know Let's see. We played Kate's skating ring back in the day. Uh, let's see. I played wow. Klondike in in Boone, Boone which yeah. was actually a pretty big deal. Not a big deal, but Someone it was told one of those used spots. to be a place. It was. I think Greg Philbeck told me there used to be a place just a block down from the Milestone. That was another club, or there was a place like right across the street. Yeah. It was like the, the Church of the Church. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I forget exactly what it was called, but that was where that was where Gigi Allen played. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, so a couple of venues that you might look at and think, oh, those are a bigger deal than the Milestone. But the Milestone was always where I wanted to play, and I got denied that one fucking time. Had I stayed in Damage Done, I probably would have played there a bunch of times. But, you know, I I bailed on that just because, like I said, personality conflicts happen. No, I'm Church, Church of Musical Awareness. That's what that place Church is called. Church of wow. Musical Awareness. And it was, the building was still there when I started going to the Milestone. Okay. And that was right around the whole time that the Gigi Allen thing happened. And um, But I, I never went there. This has been a Gabba Gabba Hunt Media Production. See, I I always looked at Kiss like I saw the pictures before I ever heard the music. So I'm looking at Kiss, and I remember, you know, this around the same time I'm seeing Emmett Otter and, and the Nightmare and all this shit. So I'm looking at Kiss and how hardcore all their shit is with like the fire breathing and the blood shit with Gene Simmons. And I, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking that Kiss is going to be something that makes Black Sabbath sound like Yacht Rock. 
And then I hear it, and I'm like, what, what the <laughs> fuck is this? And, and then, like, you know, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park comes out, and I was just kind of done. Yeah. But, you know, but, yeah, that was, that was, but, you know, I always had this expectation Mostly because of Gene Simmons, that this was going to be like the hardest shit I've ever. I hear that quite a bit. Uh, That's that that assessment of it. But I don't know. When I was a kid, that that's I heard the music, I saw the makeup. It was like a comic book come to life for me. I'm like, oh yeah, this is yeah. Oh, I can definitely get it. I mean, I have a friend that's like Gonzo over them, and I I found a uh, when I used to do repossessions.